My man, it's easy to say that when you grew up around used to be legends like Arn Anderson. Yeah, you heard me. Keep shooting murder ones at me and I'll knock your jaw right off your face, partner. You know what I grew up around? You know what I grew up around? Alcoholics. Junkies. I grew up around that. And I had to survive. I had to grind. You couldn't last a day in my shoes. So you don't tell me nothing about grinding. You talk about the sport of pro wrestling? That's a joke. Because every person you faced has been a child. I am a grown-ass man. And I will put you in the ground and smile. But here's the best part about this whole thing. The guy that you like to mention because you like to be best friends with the boss, Tony Khan, <laughs> paid me to show up. And now he's gonna pay me to kick your ass and take that championship. Oh yeah, you wanna go? Project it on, I swear on my beautiful mother's eyes. If you don't shut up, I'm gouging your eye out. All right? Let me speak. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's my time now. Real easy. Real easy, relax. You've had yours. Tony Khan said to me, you know what, King? If you want to know DQ, man, that's fine by me. Just, you know, Cody has six. January 27th, 2022, and at long last, we are here that the psychology is dead, top 50 wrestlers of the pandemic, which is still currently ongoing, covering the years of wrestling 2020 to the end of 2021. I'm your host, Quentin Moody, and Timothy, it has been a long two, going on three years. It was we could it was tough to want to talk about wrestling in 2020, so that's why we wound up doing the 2010s list. But here we are, caught back up to modern wrestling and and really uh, bracing to talk about the current wrestling landscape as much as it may uh, pain us. But we're back to go back to the usual formatting. So Timothy, how are you? No, 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 no. I didn't sign up for this. I'm here to talk about the world on GCW. Oh, great! <laughs> what the hell? What is this? There's like, there's like, there's like, the, there's, no, uh, there's like the bit on a on Bojack Horseman where Bojack and Mr. Peanut Butter go to the museum and it's like, and they like do the whole this a crossover episode thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, it is always kind of weird now that we do a weekly uh, podcast. <laughs> I guess semi-weekly podcast and then doing these because uh if people who don't 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 remember weren't here from the beginning may not know that this used to be something special that we did this was like i think the one of the only time that we would annually to do a podcast together and then we would do little you know pod blasts let's say separately every now and then um but quentin did you know that this is the like the fifth year year that we're doing if you don't count last year as the decade and then it's the sixth time that we're doing this overall yeah. I guess it is technically COVID, so it's not a year, but uh kind of kind of crazy to think back. Um 
I looked over the first list we ever did, which I guess was, what, 2016? Yeah, 2016. And my number one was Trevor Lee, and now look where he's at. Uh, really, five years, six years really makes a fucking difference, I guess. Yeah, time um, flies. So, <laughs> yeah, that's it was crazy to think about that, man, uh, just how different everything was. Um, but yeah, been doing this for a while now. When we started it, I said, you know, there was a lot of... There's like those things that people would do, calendar, annual year, kind of uh, list type podcast things. I said it'd be neat to have something like that going, and hey, we've been having it going. Yeah, we like just thankfully we've been able to uh, remain remain consistent about it, and uh, and be vigilant and be vigilant on this thing. And like, I'm glad that it exists, and like, I'm not I'm not gonna pretend that this is like the biggest thing in the world, but like, I'm glad that there are people that like see this and like use it as a resource or kind of a time capsule for what the year in wrestling was because I feel like something like that doesn't really exist in wrestling. So it's kind of a, so it's kind of a cool thing to, to have and be a part of and the little impact that it might've made over the last, over the last few years is it's always, it's always fun to see. But like I said, we're moving on from the 2010s and we're back into the modern wrestling, even though we do a usually weekly show, semi-weekly show, on modern wrestling so some of our takes might not be the most surprising but 2020 there is a lot that we didn't really talk about didn't really um do much on just because of how fucked up 2020 was for everybody and how hard it might have been to want a podcast or talk about wrestling at that point in time so going back as you as you were prepping for the top 50 list was there anything like from 2020 that you were super keen to go back and look on or was 2020 just something where you wanted to like leave it in the rear view? Uh, there was some stuff that looking things over and, and, and rethinking about it, I was kind of like, Oh yeah. Like 2020, there was, you know, 2020, I would say the biggest thing would probably be like, uh, you know, the Goshiyazaki run. Um, Cause I kind of was not thinking about that, you know, cause we usually do a year. Like we don't do two years like we're doing this time. So in my head, when I was formulating the list, I'm, you know, things from 2020 were not on my radar. So then I thought about, Oh, you know, like I was pretty vocal about it in 2020 that go was like in the debate could have been my number one for 2020 at, at times. Um, <clears throat> other people like someone like Anthony Henry, who like uh, had a, an insane covid kind of period if you put the two years together he's one of these guys that i think his wwe hiccup would have fucked him on both years if we had split this up right if you did if we had done a 2020 list and a 2021 list anthony henry may have not made my top 50 but because it's both years together that chunk of time in the middle with the wwe doesn't affect as much that he's got two really really great runs on the indies the the one where he's been back is kind of short but it's still, he's already showing that he's just as good as he was before he left. That was one that I was like, okay, this is kind of neat to think about something like that. Um, so yeah, th- those were kind of the the big kind of takeaway things um, for me that, that I thought of because of 2020 mostly. But yeah, there's not a ton from 2020. There's like some New Japan guys, especially like, let's say like Shingo. Um, 
who the 2020 makes a big, a strong part of his case with 2021 being solid, but you know, it's the, it's both things together. Um, someone like, uh, uh, Minoru Suzuki as well kind of has a similar thing. Um, and then also has a really interesting 2022. So when you combine the two together, it makes a better case. So yeah, some stuff like that where, uh, very like different cases and very like different rankings. If these had been one year, one year, you know what I mean? And not been, uh, the two year, the full kind of COVID thing that I guess we'll say. Um, and then also the fact that because of the, 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 the pandemic and because of that meaning that there's not a lot of wrestling going on in general and definitely not a lot of great wrestling going on, people m- make it remarkably high on the list with a relatively small amount of output uh, just because, like, fuck it. <laughs> like, I was going to explain this uh, and I probably will repeat this kind of thing um, as we go out the, the list, but like, to me, this is a, this is the COVID list. That's what my notes, that's what I listed as. This is not, you know, 2022, 2021. This is the pandemic list. This is the PID 50 pandemic. And that means that like the pandemic vibe is part of my criteria. I, I have taken like my criteria is on these lists does like in some ways change. I won't say that it goes like wildly different. Like it's, it focuses a lot on in-ring work, but Sometimes, like, character stuff is more important. So different things are more important. You know, in this one, it's like the the pandemic vibe, the vibe of the pandemic does affect people's rankings and ratings quite a bit in the way that what they did affected the pandemic, the way that things that they did stood out because of the pandemic, and just the way that, like, sometimes the pandemic causes insane depression and bouts of depression and ennui and not wanting to focus on professional wrestling. So certain people who are just, like, weird and do goofy stuff or were just solid wrestlers, like, really stand out because at the time, like, it, it came and it hit you just at the right time to make a difference. That's kind of like, uh, that was kind of my big picture looking back on everything, feeling. No, it's, um, I definitely agree with that. That's why something like the Stadium Stampede, when me and Brock do the top 100, the Stadium Stampede is going to be such a really big thing for me on my list. Because in the midst of everything that was going on in 2020, the Stadium Stampede was just like, oh, wow, that was nice. That was that was nice to just watch and feel that and have that little bit of escape just watching this big dumb goofy match so that 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 is something that i do that i do value here the entertainment level in the midst of what could have been a really crippling time mentally for people let alone the physical toll that it's obviously taken worldwide um i think for me i was mostly keen then on going back and and looking at Joshi, this will be the most Joshi represented list that I've had so far. Uh, And I'm really happy about that. I enjoyed how much Joshi I got to spend my time watching and analyzing and appreciating over the, over the course of preparing for this. So that won't be the usual blind spot here for me. I think that Lucha, Lucha uh, has gone through some weird times there's been good indie shows. Mexico has had indies running, but then something like CMLL being non-existent and AAA being AAA and having fun openers and fun tag stuff, but nothing really that was super gripping. There isn't going to be a ton of lucha represented on my list this year, but I did I did manage to squeeze a couple of people on. Um, is there anything that you feel like 
is going to get represented on your list more than usual, or is this the typ- typical Timothy U.S. Indies, you know, uh, no. hodgepodge? A lot more Japanese wrestling, a lot Joshi representation, like you said, and women's wrestling wrestlers in general, I think probably a little bit stronger. Um, and yeah, just a lot more Puro than there has been, a lot more Japanese wrestling than there has been throughout the list and especially at the top of the list. Um, because of the pandemic and because of some really quality wrestlers in general. Um, so yeah, that's a, that would be, I would say the biggest difference. Cause yeah, I've, I've always been pretty, uh, pretty, like you said, us Indies has always been kind of my focus and, uh, not so much over the pandemic. There just wasn't a ton of us Indies in general. And there wasn't a ton of really good us Indie wrestling. Um, cause I mean, a, t- a ton of the good us Indie re- wrestlers all got signed, right? You know, obviously. Um, and then they just weren't doing jack shit. And then the Indies just weren't even running shows. The GCW-ification of indie wrestling continues on to where there's just a ton of bad indie wrestling on the U.S. indie scene. So uh, that definitely affects my uh, my take. So, I mean, and also, I I don't know, like, the last list that we did, like, there wasn't really AEW, like, as big as it is now. Was there? Like the AEW was just getting off the ground. So... Yeah. This will be the first time in which AEW, we've had like a few years of AEW now. And like, I think we can both say that AEW for the most part has been pretty quality programming. So of course yeah. we'll get plenty of AEW representation. So yeah, that, that, that is a new thing. Yeah. So that'll definitely affect the list quite a bit. Cause there's a lot of AEW representation and yeah, just, yeah, that's a, yeah, it's, it's definitely not, this does not look a lot like a ton of other lists that I've had in the past. That's for sure. Um, there is one thing that I always, I, or actually maybe you haven't asked the question yet, so I'll let you no, go, continue. No, go ahead. I thought you were going to do the blind spots, you know, I, I know you like to ask about the blind spots, so. Yeah, so, uh, um, what, what, do you, do you have any in particular this year? The biggest one, biggest glaring one, again, I mean, Lucha is always going to be a blind spot, I'm sorry, just always going to be, not for me, not my thing. We reviewed Lucha, I think, last year, maybe this year, um, but, uh. Maybe that was 2020. Jesus Christ. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Um, but uh, the big one, and I saw, I think I saw Simon post this in the Slack. So shout out to Simon. I think it's the best, uh, the best way to describe it. But that it's, uh, it's literally illegal for me to watch Dragon Gate at this point. Um, it's against the law. So no Dragon Gate at all for me. I kept saying I would eventually get caught back up and check out all the Dragon Gate stuff. I have watched uh, so little of it that I didn't even think about it for making my formulating my list in any way no sb kentos no shun skywalkers none of the people who deserve to be on the list they're just not there um which is kind of crazy because i've always been at least dragon gate adjacent i've always kept up with dragon yeah, you gate always like the style very long you, you, time. you're really into the style yeah. and like everything that it does you just don't keep up with it yeah but uh this these past couple of years just have not been watching any dragon gate at all so that's a that's kind of the biggest blind spot i would say Alright, um, for me, I mean, like, I guess I would say the husk of what is left of European wrestling would be would be a blind spot, but I think that's a... Shit, man. <laughs> that feels that feels like that's been dead for so long that I even forget that it ever existed. Like, yeah. I have, I have some people on my list, but, like, yeah, like, the husk of what was the European wrestling scene, uh, def- definitely, uh, won't have very much representation, uh on on my list um like I, like I think we've always known like i watch us indies but i've never been as you in the us indies as you as you've been I always kind of have been like 
more Japan centric. So like, it's not that I didn't watch the US indie stuff. It's just a lot of it didn't really stick with me. But again, like the major players from the US indie scene will uh, will make appearances, and obviously AEW um, will uh, will uh, cover up and make up for most of that. Um, I guess uh, the last bit of housekeeping before um, we get into the top fifty that we adopted um, in the midst of speaking out and doing our, our doing our decade stuff last year. So there might be some uh, unfavorable individuals that happen to make my list. I'm not sure about Timothy's list. People that might have that might have been named in speaking out. So if you don't want to hear me mention or talk about the wrestling of someone that was mentioned in speaking out and some kind of sexual abuse, misconduct, uh, any sort of predatory manner, uh, and uh, don't care about the wrestling at all, and don't like the don't hear like to hear the mention, then then uh, that is the form that is the first warning, and uh, you can exile this podcast from uh from this point on if you don't want to hear me talk about certain people, and I'll give warnings as I'm mentioning uh certain people that um that may have, that may have came up uh. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you have anybody that might fit that cri- criteria, Timothy. So, uh, I actually don't think I do. I think not to say that everybody on my list is an angel, but I don't know that I have anybody who who you know I can't confirm. But nobody off the top of my head who I think is uh, problematic because obviously as soon as you know, as soon as anyone gets in trouble for anything like that, then any wrestling that they've ever done is not good anymore. Um, we all we both agree with that. So, um, no, I mean I just. I mean, there's one guy that pops in my head right now who just recently had some allegations come out. Who I think at, maybe at one point I thought about having on my list, but I it just didn't, just never did. Like not much of a big thought after that, and it wasn't necessarily because of the allegations. It just didn't come up. So yeah, I don't think, I don't think I do. I don't think I have anybody. Well, okay, I do have one person technically. Um, so I will, I will give the the shout about that and. I will say that if there is anybody else that I don't give a spoiler warning or, or not spoiler warning, a uh, content warning, a trigger warning type thing for, I apologize for being ignorant. I, I, I legitimately am just not aware of any accusations or any issues with anybody else on my list. Okay. Uh, with that being said, uh, I think I'm fine kicking off, kicking off uh, doing my 51st. Um. Okay, sure. I mean, do you want to do? You want to do I kind, <laughs> I kind of want to go first. I do. I kind of. I kind of do. All right. Okay. Go let's first. go ahead. I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> just because I, I, I hate to do it, but I just kind of I want to do mine first. I just have this because of I'm starting on a bit. I'll say a bit of a bit. So I would like to start out. Oh wait, we, we, I that. forgot honorable mention. So like, let me get mine out the way. Oh, cause, okay. Because because sure, yeah, sure. I don't think you have any. So uh, some no, I don't. Yeah, some honorable honorable mentions for me. Um, Hiromu Takahashi. Um. Can be a hit or miss guy for people at this point, but I think that Hiromu like really gave a lot of life to New Japan in those empty arenas. When otherwise, there's good wrestling there, but like other than like someone like a Minoru Suzuki, there's not someone that's like charismatic enough for make it to make up for the lack of energy in those rooms. And I feel like Hiromu Takahashi stepped up time and time again in in spots, whether it was uh like in the New Japan Cup or um filling in in G1 spots when Naito went down or even the best of the Super Juniors runs. Hiromu did a lot and did a lot of really good stuff, but uh, wasn't enough to make my list. Um, Chris Dickinson, 
Dominic Garini, uh, Siori, and uh, Sari also were uh, some cuts for me. Siori was a late cut for me. Um, Dickinson was not on my radar. And I will say, honorable mention, based on that, what you just said, kind of the whole New Japan Juniors scene, the good the good people, El Desperado, uh, Robbie Eagles, Hiromu, like you mentioned, like those guys, uh, even like Sho and Yo when they were getting to be decent and have wrestling matches, um, all didn't make my list and, and could have theoretically or, or, or deserve honorable mention, I guess I'll say. Um, so, yeah. So, okay. So, my, I, I was tempted to make my number 50 be uh, El Phantasmo, ELP, um, because I just wanted to get this joke that I came up with recently out there, which was that uh, uh, when he was doing the loaded super kick gimmick, that the people should have called him Loaded Boots Riley. Um, so, but he doesn't have to be my number 50 for me to make that joke because I just did make it. Um, and that one is especially for Parm. Uh, so shout out to Parm. Um, so my number 50 barely technically makes it onto being eligible for the list. It is a vanity memorial pick to keep in line with my 2010s pick, which 50 was a memorial pick. My number 50 is Ryan Smile. Uh, had one match in 2020 before the pandemic even started um, and then passed away uh, during the pandemic, unfortunately. Um, the all-day star, we talked him over him when he when the news of his passing went out there. Um, but yeah, uh, a guy who was a big part of... Uh, you know, the UK wrestling scene and the fandoms that we had a big part of it on, you know, in front and behind the camera. And uh, just someone I want to give a shout out to there, you know, out uh, in general for the pandemic wrestling, you know, even if he didn't even wrestle during the pandemic, uh, good for him to not have to deal with it. But uh, that's my number 50. Uh, my number 50 is uh, Miu Yamashita from uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling. Uh, she is my number 50. Is She is not on my list. Um... Tokyo Joji Pro is a funny, fascinating promotion where I totally understand why people enjoy the promotion. It's goofy. They're like, there's nice characters. Like, it's it's engaging. It's like aesthetically pleasant to look at. Like, I get it. But I think we could agree that there aren't a lot of very good wrestlers that are full time Tokyo Joshi Pro workers. I think that list begins with Miu Yamashita being above everyone, head and shoulders, and then you have like Yuka Sakazaki and like there's people, people, there's other good people, there's other people that are good, but it's it's really Miu who kind of holds the work of that of that company together, and. She doesn't have a lot to work with. She really doesn't. Like the she gets she works with people like Maki Ito and Rika Tatsumi and Maki Ito is better than Rika Tatsumi, but it's still not this this plethora of great talent to go out there and work with. And what she does in Tokyo Joshi Pro on a regular basis, whether it's in tags, singles, title matches, whatever she always stands out and she almost feels like a like a uh like a masaki mochizuki in that in that company which is wild because again tokyo joshi pro hasn't doesn't have this track record of producing great talent but miu yamashita just goes out there every time and continues to deliver and be great and she's still only 26 years old and she's been easily the best worker in this company 
for a couple of years now too. And she continues to be great. She continues to deliver. She continues to have the, have a lot of the most memorable stuff in Tokyo, in Tokyo Joshi pro. And, you know, unless something changes soon, I think I foresee her being the best wrestler in Tokyo Joshi pro for the distant, in, in the distant future as well, unless she winds up jumping ship, which would be kind of catastrophic for them from a work, from a work rate perspective. Cause she really holds everything about that company together. But Miyu Yamashita, um, I thought she was a solid pick for 50. Yeah, that's a, a good pick. Tokyo Joshi Pro has not been my uh, on, on heavy rotation for me. I picked, I kind of like picked and choose based on what hearing what people said about standout matches. And uh, yeah, she's good. She was good, and but just uh, I didn't follow as closely as I should have. Uh, so my number forty nine is Edith Surreal. Um, started out the pandemic era under a different name. Um, not only like transitioned, I guess, in life, but also as a wrestler uh, a lot from the beginning of the pandemic until the middle and the end, um, <clears throat> kind of transitioning from, I, you know, it's, it's a weird thing to say about someone who like literally is trans and I probably shouldn't like beat the, that euphemism over the head. Right. Uh, but it is kind of true going from being, I won't say like a comedy, but like a, uh, uh, an oddity kind of gimmick, um, really just playing a gimmick to becoming more and more focused on the serious grappling and technical wrestling, um, and really starting to come into their own, um, turning out to be like a really phenomenal, uh, tournament worker, which became like a cool thing in early 2021, um, going from, uh, the enjoy title uh, cup and then the, um, the Cassandra cup back to back, um, being, uh, you know, tagging, uh, singles matches, like I said, really uh, coming into their own um, when it comes to to the technical on the mat wrestling, um, the stuff in like Camp Leapfrog, doing Camp Leapfrog like tournaments uh, wrestling that they did there, and then a feud, a kind of a, a storyline feud with Masha Slamovich um, that had some f- oh, phen- phenomenal matches as well. Um, yeah, just really solid worker who's like uh, putting it together and becoming very inter entertaining. And, uh, yeah, one of the most emotional moments of the pandemic era is definitely the Cassandra cup from beginning to end. I think I talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but it's, uh, it still sticks out as something that was very emotional and very, uh, very gripping, uh, as something that happened in the pandemic when nothing really was like able to really get like that same level of like investment and, and buy-in. I thought that that was, uh, something that really stands out in this uh, pandemic era. Yeah. I, I like what I like, um, things I've seen from Edith, but I didn't get to see a ton, um, ton of their, ton of their work. Um, just wasn't pay, paying attention to some, to some of those same companies with a super keen, with, with a super keen eye. Um, but, but not, but not a bad pick at all for your 40, for your 49. Uh, my number 49 is Arisa Nakajima. Not on my list. Yes, uh, Arisa Nakajima, um, always been good. Always has been really good. At least I've always really enjoyed Arisa Nakajima's work. And in a, in a time like this, where things weren't things were getting shut down, or certain wrestling didn't feel as good without crowds, like as you'll like you'll notice, like certain absences 
um, from our list of people that were like, you know, like perennial top 50 guys. But Erisa Nakajima's brand of wrestling just translated really well to not needing a super big audience in front of it because Seedling already operates without super big audiences and all that kind of stuff, which is no disrespect to them, but like they're, they're already used to not be operating in front of 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 people. They're fine operating with their 150 in attendance, their 300 in attendance and all that kind of stuff. So going to zero, going to maybe 90 in attendance is something that's going to take a, take away from the style a lot. And just ultimately, Arisa Nakajima is just a really solid all-around worker. So, whether it is in, whether it is single stuff, or whether it is te- uh, teaming with uh, Sukasa Fujimoto as the best friend, so you could argue was the tag team or the pandemic, just based off of like how good their best stuff together was. You look, you look at them. Well, look at look at Arisa rather, and it's just quality work from beginning to end. Whether it's whether it's title, whether it's title matches. Whether it's, ta- whether it's the tag team title, whether it's the stuff with Ryo Mizunami, whether it's for the tag titles, anywhere Arisa showed up and not always necessarily having to be in seedling. It could have been her ice ribbon appearances or whatever else, which was all, which were always super consistent. But in seedling, all the seedling shows that made tape, all the seedling shows that were made available online and were, and were uh, easier to find, everything that Arisa touched was, was really, really great. She had a super high floor and even in really in a really high ceiling too some of her stuff is, is well, potentially will make my top my top 100 but uh yeah that's what i got on the rest of nice, nice. uh, did not watch much seedling so don't have anything to say there uh my 48 is the acclaimed the acclaimed okay this is uh yeah i did not consider the acclaim so uh like i, w- yeah. I really i really want to hear the pitch here this is again. This is what I talked about. Vibe people, pandemic vibe. This is a a pandemic vibe, for sure. Like act like these guys, basically grinding it out on AEW like YouTube programming, um, on dark week in week out having like really solid, just basic you know squash to competitive squash level tag team matches. Um, I've always been like kind of high on uh on max caster comparatively um again like we i've talked about it in the past but we me and you both and, and kind of our milieu were exposed to uh the creative pro crew from his era uh when they were very young just from like a personal connection obviously um so like i've always been high on max caster anthony bowens is really like developing into a super solid wrestler in the tag team uh tons and tons of personality like developing in bowens because from the beginning if he was like he just seemed like a like a stiff like he was like a you know like a a, a coat hanger basically you know like he's just holding up a nice suit kind of guy that kind of guy who looks good in a suit but he's, there's nothing else to him um and then now even just the like screaming the acclaimed has arrived like that like drips with like like passion and emotion and like fire like goddamn like this guy like something came to him right it's like and obviously he's a guy that they're big on and and they want to make something out of um you know because why would you not like i said look at him his wrestling talent in ring he's obviously very solid as a wrestler 
Um, plus, he's got a great look. And then also he's gay, which like is a plus in 2022, right? To have a big time gay star, openly gay. Um, like, you know, like that's a that's a plus. So like, yeah, they want to get behind this guy for sure. Again, also talk about the fact that he's mixed race. Like, you know, like, damn, okay, this guy has got everything you want. And then you put him with basically like the worst risk that you could ever ask for with Max Caster, who just, he's from the Shook crew, like, like talked about knowing from the past, like the Shook crew was known for pushing fucking buttons and being ridiculous. Um, shout out to white girl who's also on AEW TV, which is very funny to think about. Um, Max Caster's ex-girlfriend, who's a big star. Um, yeah, like you put him with the fucking, the biggest risk factor that you could ever put him with um in the guy that's gonna like get him in trouble and he did like they got in trouble like from him saying some shit that he shouldn't have said with a live mic um but it doesn't fucking matter because like like they say the cream rises to the top right these guys there's something there there's charisma like when he started doing the freestyle rapping thing it was like i'm like this is fucking corny and it is still kind of corny and i know that you're into battle rap so it's probably even harder for you to be like this guy is doing this fucking you know cheesy rap gimmick it's like worse than fucking when cena was doing it right but when he started doing it, I'm like, this is going to get over. Like, just like Cena, this shit's going to get over. And it does. It works. Like, fuck, this guy is, like, uh, becoming a star through this dumbass rap thing and saying shit that he shouldn't say. And again, like, I was big on Caster even on the indies. I used to talk up, talk him up, thought he was a really good wrestler, has charisma. But he's developing into even bigger of, like, a star-type wrestler. You realize, like, the size on these guys, like, they're not small. So it's like, okay, these guys can be something. And they're, like, becoming something. And it's just, like really impressive to have seen these guys they grind it out on the fucking youtube they're thrown together oh let's just put these guys together a project guy and a a whatever guy and let's just throw them together whatever and then they're becoming one of the most over acts in the company like quietly on the underneath on the undercards and shit to where when they come out the crowd goes fucking nuts for them and this like mini feud that they just had with sting and darby was like the coming out party to be like okay these guys are legit like this is like something to talk about this is not just fucking youtube act this is like a main tv act and now we'll go from here to like see that they follow up on that and actually make something out of these guys because yeah like i said they're uh they they were thrown together they're just whatever but they're like they're turning it into something it's kind of if you think back it's like <laughs> this is a fucking wild comparison but it's like the the hollywood blondes like fucking austin and pillman is like just throw them together or whatever and then it's just two guys who fuck it, like, like I said, cream rises to the top, they both are really talented, have personality, and they're like, okay, they're gonna throw us together in this dumbass tag team, but we're gonna fucking make something of it, and they did, so it's like a very similar thing to, to see happening, and it's kind of really, really cool, especially, like I said, over the, over the COVID, when you're locked in the house, like, you, AEW YouTube shows was, like, prime COVID for me, like, I've been loving watching that shit, when, like, the pandemic was really on, I was watching all of the YouTube stuff, I would, like, not watch dynamite but i would watch the youtube shit because like it was just i don't know what it was but it, like scratched a certain itch perfect for me during like the, the pandemic um i'm really excited to see anthony bowen versus cody rose and for bowen to call him booker man uh oh god damn really really uh <laughs> really really looking forward to it uh my number 48 i got kaito ishida uh, one of the Dragon Gate guys that you uh, disrespected by not having on your list. <laughs> yeah, fuck those kids. Uh, Kaito's great, man. Um, over over this period of time, Kaito turned heel and joined Red, and immediately it was it was it was hand in glove, man. Kaito took to it immediately. 
got this real grungy, dirty boy look to him. And it fucking rocks as he kicks the shit out of people. And he was a star in multi-man tags all the time, whether it was six-mans or straight-up tags or eight-mans, whatever. Kaito was always a star. And then you get some of the single stuff and you get him running with the Brave Gate and especially that stuff with Keisuke Okuda. And even his Dreamgate shot versus Shun, I thought a lot of the uh, match was frustrating. But it wasn't necessarily on Kaito's end. Uh, necessarily. I really liked Kaito in the match for the most part. And I thought their follow-up in King of Gate was better. But he's really good in the King, in the King of Gate setting and those, short, those shorter, faster-paced sprints. And all in all, Kaito has just been a gem. I think that as Dragon Gate has, has undergone a, a bunch of different changes over the last couple of years, that Kaito is one of those, one of those guys that when they're ready to give to take that leap with him to go from the plucky young upstart baby face like they start everyone else out uh, that they start everyone um out as I think when they took the leap on Kaito he was ready and he uh and he took to it very 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 quickly and this is also the Takahiro Yamamura memorial spot uh because I just imagine how good Yamamura would have been if he got to continue wrestling. Uh, and maybe even get a heel turn, but alas, Kaito Ishida will do here. Yeah, all right, <laughs> that's it. You you close that one out strong for even for me with the not paying attention to to Dragon Gate here. Um, uh, okay, so my number forty seven is a little bit of a local local guy for me, but makes like almost zero of his case for the pandemic in the local uh, scene. Uh, Jacob Fatu, which I don't think you'll have higher. No, I didn't really get to watch much of Jacob Fatu, even though you know, yeah. you know, I, I you know, I like him. Yeah, Jacob Fatu, I can get not watching him and not you know going out of your way for him, but he, again, this is this is Tim's uh, COVID is Tim's YouTube, you know, ser- like uh, period, right? I'm like watching tons of YouTube television throughout the pandemic, and uh, you know, MLW like late 2019. They put the belt on him up until that point. They had like kind of used him here and there, but then they're like focusing on him and through 2020 and into 2021 at like the ace of MLW uh, and, uh, you know, just phenomenal defenses against whoever really like even Shima early on in 2020, which is crazy to think about. Um, but yeah, like all comers, Davy Boy Smith to like ACH, Jordan Oliver, Calvin Tankman, the dude would like basically wrestle anybody for the MLW title and have like banger after banger, which I know is not like surprising. Um, really again, like in the, in the COVID era came into his own as being like feeling like an ACE kind of guy, which it's, I, I've always wanted there to be ever since it's like dumb. Cause like the, the Samoan gangster party kind of did the same t- thing and the, and the Samoan, uh, Samoan SWAT team kind of did the same thing where it's like not we're not fucking savages we're just we're like dude you know like we're like dudes we're like guys who are kind of cool um making a difference fatu was like a, a similar kind of gimmick too where it's like the samoans don't have to be like fucking tribes people or whatever um 
But ever since the Usos debuted in WWE and talked about like not being fucking savages and just being like educated dudes who went to college and are athletes and all this, I've always wanted like that kind of vibe from a Samoan gimmick in general. And, and look at the Usos now, right? Or not now. They're a little bit less now with Roman. But up until now when they're doing the fucking haka dance and all that shit and painting their faces and doing all that, it's like, okay, you guys are just like doing the fucking the thing. Like you're just doing the racist Vince McMahon stereotype thing. Um and uh yeah like over the pandemic jacob has really come into his own as being like kind of an ace kind of guy having some swagger coming across as someone who's not just a uh not just a fucking samoan gimmick you know like he's he's a legit guy who you can have as your champion have as the top of the card and i mean yeah like over the over the course of the pandemic he's perfected being a top of the card kind of ace guy even like in west coast pro wrestling um he comes across like a like an ace kind of guy pcw he comes across like a top you know big time star uh i got to see him live in gcw for the first time in years like i saw him the 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 last time i saw him or the first time i saw him live was when he was still training at his uncle's school um and then, you know, I got to see him again recently at a GCW show and the difference is fucking like wild. Like he was good. The first time I saw him, I'm not going to lie. He was good. I was like, damn, I didn't even know that he was related. I was at the show. It was a friend of mine. They were training at the time. Uh, and I, oh, this guy, they called him the Samoan werewolf or whatever. I'm like, oh, damn. Okay, cool. And uh, he was really good. I was like, damn, that guy's really good or whatever. Then I found out who he was um, and his background. And I was like, oh, shit, you know, like there's this is going to be something he turned out to. I turned out to be right. Um, and then seeing him now and he comes into GCW and just comes across dominant and domineering and fucking aggressive and violent. And like I said, like a top star. Um, and the guy clearly feels like he should be used at the top of the card somewhere on a major company. So hopefully somebody gets their hooks into him soon and puts this guy on TV because, yeah, he's about as good as anybody, uh, not just in ring, um, but also when it comes to like having that aura and, and, and coming across like a big fucking deal. Yeah, I echo everything that you said there. I just didn't see a lot of Jacob in 2021 or 2020. But again, that star power, that aura, that energy and presence that translates to the wrestling ring and radiates off the screen, that's all there. And the wrestling ability is there too. He's a really entertaining wrestler to watch when it's all said and done as well. So yeah, can't do anything but echo your sentiments on Jacob Fatu there. My number 47 Let's see how much you respect Joshi, Tim. My number 47 is Julia. She was a very late cut. She oh. was in this range. <laughs> she was in this range, and she got pushed. And honestly, that I feel very bad about it now, especially. Because, uh, yeah, she was, she was, she was a, a nail-biter. She almost made it into... She was in this range, for sure, and then kind of got, got, got bumped out. So there's a people get it... And we, and we talked about it on the, on the podcast a couple of times, but people get it messed up about Julia is that people act as if, Ju, as if Julia is a bad wrestler. No, people were mad at Julia because of how she jumped ship, which people can have their own opinions on, but it was never about Julia's wrestling ability. Now, people may have this idea about how Julia gets pushed and this and that and pushing this... Uh, pushing half Japanese, half Italian woman, and her adjacent and her uh, proximity to whiteness and all that kind of stuff. Like, and those are whole different conversations. But no one would ever say that Julia wasn't a good worker. If she wasn't a decent enough worker, I don't think that they would have gone out of their way to scoop her up. 
Julia, despite what people may think of her, is a gritty, tough, and nasty worker. She's mean, she's violent, her stuff can be stiff, and it catches you off guard sometimes. You're like, oh shit, like, she like really goes out there to kick ass. And I thought her 2020 was fantastic. Um, I think that she's hurt a little bit by 2021 and uh, and, and missing some chunks of time. But her twenty twenty, but her twenty twenty, and uh, the stuff going for the vac for the vacant white belt, and the grand and the grand prix, and the tag team stuff with Donna Del Mundo, Donna Del Mondo is all is all very good teaming with teaming with Siori. Um, the twenty twenty one stuff is especially great. Some of the some of the key gems being her stuff with Starlight Kid and uh, and Mayu Watani. And what some people might call a match of the year contender versus Tam versus Tam Nakano. So she has the really strong in between bits. She has the big epic match of the year level stuff. She has the tag she has the tag team resume. She has the presence, the aura, the mean the meanness, and yeah, man, I think I think Julia gets a bad rap and it comes from like things that weren't necessarily reflective of like her actual wrestling ability. Julia's a really great worker. She's not the best worker in stardom. She's not my highest ranked stardom worker. But Julia really, really took some leaps in uh during the during the pandemic. And uh I, I expect I expect her to keep getting better. Yeah, I said, all right, so much so that I'm calling an audible here and my number forty six is Julia. Uh I'm with you on everything you said there. I think the deathmatch Julia shit, the GI Julia shit that happened throughout this, getting her hair cut, doing fucking like violent brawls, like really showed a lot more depth as you were talking about all that stuff there. And like I said, she was a, a very like late kind of push off the list in this range. So she easily slots right back into the spot basically where she was at to begin with. Uh, so yeah, Quentin, you, uh, you talked me into it as well as I was already pretty much into it. So yeah, Julia kicks ass. Uh, the, again, the, the push and the expansion of stardom continues a lot built off of her. Um, she's definitely not my highest rated, uh, stardom wrestler, but, uh, she's definitely a big part of them moving forward. Uh, out of curiosity, who, who does she, uh, knock off? Um, that's, I, that's a weird question. I'm because I just reformatted a ton of stuff and I can't remember. Let me double check here. I can easily see who it was. Uh, Alex Coughlin. Okay. All right. Uh, cause uh, Coughlin was like a weird push for me. I, uh, he was kind of a force for me because of liking a couple things that I saw live and, and on top of just liking digging his thing but realistically he can do with a little bit more seasoning before he gets on the list so might as well go with my gut and not go with the like I was kind of forcing Coglin on here as someone that I uh, just personally really like had like an affinity for but not necessarily deserved his spot on the list okay so you plug you plug the Julia in at 46 alright yes. so I guess I can go ahead to my, 40, to my 46 then uh, my 46 is Kota Minora. Uh, not on my list. Yeah, man. Um, He is the only guy from Masquerade on my list, which means that Shun Skywalker, the the former leader of Masquerade and the former Dreamgate champion, did not make my list. And Shun was a little inconsistent for me in 2021 in spots where I needed him to be consistent, and that hurt him. Uh, his return in 2020 to Dragon Gate uh, got marred, got marred by uh, 
you know, that Ben K match uh, happening the way it did. And the Ata, excuse me, the Ada match was good, but not like great enough for me to look past certain things. Um, but Kota Minora, even before the formation of Masquerade and his work uh, with uh, with Masaki with Masaki Mochizuki and uh, teaming with them and and uh, going around with him, I thought was really compelling during those early parts of 2020 for drag for Dragon Gate. I thought that Kota, I thought that Kota Minora cl- clearly shined as being the best of his class in a, a legitimate future star like. I see why people are so over the moon about SB Kento. I get it. Like I'm, I'm with you. I think Hip Hop Akuda is great. I think even Funky Jackie is awesome. But what I see in Kota Monora, I see like top line babyface potential. And hopefully, what will probably happen is you'll see like Kota Monora and SB Kento being like generational rivals or something like that. But Kota Monora is like top line babyface heir to the company kind of shit. He's he's that good. Even in smaller spots versus versus Masaki Mochizuki, he's been he's been very good in tag spots and trying and Triangle Gate things like that. But then getting into Masquerade and Masquerades, uh, always really fun six man and eight man tags and in the bigger spots and King of Gate he got a really big push in King of Gate in 2021 and his stuff with Yama his stuff with Yamato and the final with Casey was was fantastic. I loved that match. And he goes on and gets a dream gate shot later on in 2021 against Yamato based off that win over Yamato and King of Gate. And I it, I didn't like it as much as I would have as I wanted to coming into it. I was really excited for that match coming into it, but I still wound up going like three and three fourths on it. So I still there was still a lot of that a lot about that match that I enjoyed. Just didn't quite live up to my expectations. But still, for Kota Minoru's first shot in a uh in a situation like that for him to deliver the way he did it's really indicative of what Kota Minora has the potential to become and how good he can be and I look at him I look at his age I see his poise in certain spots and uh yeah I just see a guy that's gonna be a real like if he's not a fucking gigantic star he's gonna be one of Dragon Gate's most reliable guys for the next 10 to 12 years whatever that may be but uh Kota Minora, uh, the best guy in Masquerade, gets uh, gets a spot on my list. Nice, nice. All right, I uh, maybe someday I'll go back on the Dragon Gate stuff and, and get caught back up for all this stuff that I missed. But maybe I should just stop saying that because it's never gonna happen. Um, either way, my forty-five um is the Hoodfoot Mo Atlas. Yeah, uh, not no Mo Atlas for me. Uh, not through a lack of uh of enjoyment for his work again just certain u.s indie stuff i didn't catch a ton of yeah can't blame you can't blame you the guy um really i mean he is a almost a pure pandemic guy he had a few matches before the pandemic but not a ton um and then really kind of came into the scene when ppw started running the uh the kind of heavy hitters the hybrid shoot deathmatch thing and he was kind of positioned on the shoot side of things doing the uwfi matches uh and to me i thought he stood out from the moment i first saw him like this guy's got a ton of potential i see the personality i see the the heavy hitting the you know big brawling plus he can he can mix it up a little bit on the mat with some 
He comes across like a big man grappler. And you know I gotta have love for the big husky boy grappling, because fuck, like, what am I if not, like, a, hus- a husky boy grappler at heart? Um, you know what I mean? So I'm like, damn, this guy's gonna go out there, and he might be chugging, you know, and he might have to lean on you, uh, but he's gonna get out there, and he's gonna, you know, mix it up with the, the guys who are, you know, a, lo- a little bit quicker. Uh, so yeah, but then, recently, has started to come out as a fucking deathmatch psychopath. Um, the uh, deserves the de- well-deserved... The award uh, from Wrestling is Gross, shout out to the you know podcast uh, out there, uh, award for the guy who is too good for this, uh, that he's the official too good for this of 2021, I yeah. think they said. Yeah, him, him, um, the yeah, him, who, and a- him and AJ Gray are just like, all right, come on. Like, <laughs> yeah, come on, guys. Come on, guys. <laughs> you don't need to be doing this shit. But they do it for the love of the game, which is fucking wild to think about, uh, that they're just out there fucking killing it. Um Shout out for a, uh, you know, match of the year contender level match with the the Lost Boys versus, um, oh, God. Violence, Violence is forever. Sad, sad, yeah, sad conf, if you match. Will. Yeah, sad conf uh, of a different era. Yeah, the guy, you know, going out there having fucking matches with a completely immobile Madman Pondo. You know what I mean? Like, just, he can mix it up with Manders, Madman Pondo, fucking sad conf. Like, this guy has it all. Like, realistically i think you look at someone like hoodfoot on paper you see him and the kind of the gimmick that he plays and you think that he's one kind of guy right you think that you know what you're going to expect from him but what you really get from him is everything the no another match of the year contender really as far as i was concerned i put it on my list because i made like a top 10 matches of the year uh for the aforementioned wrestling is gross uh the no ring fucking uh fight with uh, alex kane that, that match fucking ruled. It was a three rounds. It was like a British, kind of British rounds, British, like a UFC rounds kind of fight with no ring that was fucking insane on that sold out show. Um, these guys just beat the fuck out of each other, throwing each other around, violent, like I said, like kind of MMA, like, had, it, I mean, shit, you want to see wrestling that feels like a fight? That was it. Like, this guy kicks ass, like I said uh, on a previous podcast, a guy that more and more people are coming around. More and more people are saying this. Uh, Hoodfoot is actually very good. Um, and I was, yeah, I got in on the ground floor on this guy and said, this this guy, there's something there. There's more than just like a, you know, more than just his vibe. Uh, he's got some some solid actual wrestling behind it. And he is, uh, he's continued to deliver on that as he's uh, gone throughout the pandemic. And uh, yeah, Hoodfoot. Number forty-five for me. Hoodfoot rules. Um, probably a guy that's poised for an even bigger twenty twenty-two. Uh, based off how it's already already starting off for him. So, I'm excited to see uh, where this where this all winds up leading for him. One of the few shining stars to come out of the U.S. indie scene during the during the pandemic. Uh, my number forty-five is someone that uh, you won't have. I have uh, Viano Tessaro Jr. I do not have him. Yeah. Um. Again, one of one of uh one of a couple Lucha guys that will wind up be wind up making my list here. So as I was just preparing for this and getting through and getting through here, it felt weird to not have any Lucha, and I was going through and trying to find guys that I felt confident enough to have on my list. And ultimately, one of the guys that I keep coming back to was Viana Tessera Jr. And I think this is just uh. His brand, his brand of uh, crowd engagement and Rudo behavior, just something that's missing, and we don't, and I don't get to see very often uh, right now. Just that pure like dickheadery, that pure fuckheadness to just antagonize the crowd the way that he does, and uh, 
I love I love his I love his aggressiveness in the ring and everything and everything about him and like the cherry on top is obviously the Arreo stuff and uh, the mask versus mask match there, which was one of the best matches uh, best matches of the year, and really he just he's just someone that was magnetizing every time I saw him on screen. He's not like if I'm thinking of contemporaries for him, it's like. I don't think he's as good as Dragon Bane or like Ehel that kind of Lupus. Those are guys that I would like think of like contemporaries of his. But I think that I've seen him perform better in bigger spots than I've seen the than I've seen uh those guys performing. And he has that kind of charisma that just uh sucks you in and re- and really real it really brings in your attention and even on smaller scale stuff working like title match style doesn't have to do the big epic brawl he can work title match style and still be good at that still be still be decent at that and everything i've seen and everything i saw of his that was um that was available i never was let down watching a viana tessero jr match all right yeah uh wish i uh cared about lucha at all honestly um (laughs) my number 44 um I don't know. Possibly you have him. We'll see. Uh, Yusuke Okada. No, no Yusuke. No uh, Yusuke Okada for me. I don't. Uh, I don't rank cops. Oh damn! That is. Uh, well, you got me there. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just. Uh, you know. So yeah, starts out the pandemic in all Japan mostly, it's like solid worker, undercard kind of guy. But I always like had a, something there that I thought stood out with him. Thought he was a. Uh, you know really good but uh over the years um just uh when he comes into drag or ddt he uh becomes a a much you know more not focused but definitely like a guy that uh they give him some stuff on the undercards um and every now and then he gets some like really standout matches with people like you, uh, like Ueno. Um, and I remember a match with Abe. I don't know. I don't think that was in DDT though. That was like really solid and good. Like, so every now and then he gets some good singles matches, but, uh, then he starts to join, but like he never was, I, I don't know. Maybe I miss didn't ever like picked up on it or didn't understand, but he never seemed to like officially join, um, like uh the 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 june risu group but now he is like in the the burning group the the second burning um but he was always like kind of just like the june risu like lackey um which i thought was interesting he would like be in tag team matches with them but was not part of the group or whatever um and then eventually like i said joined burning um and just super solid phenomenal like really really hits all the 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 right notes for me um fiery baby face underneath uh but also like having super like roughneck and and aggressive looking like striking and mat wrestling um i just dig this guy i i always have and he's kind of he definitely hits like my my kind of spot right they're like mid to undercard guys who show potential plucky kind of fighter type guys are always like kind of my uh my vibe and always kind of the people who stand out to me um so yeah that's my uh that's my uh yusuke okada yeah i enjoy enjoy him uh just didn't uh what i saw wasn't enough for me to uh want to include him on my list but don't think he's a bad don't think he's a bad inclusion at all uh my number 44 is ricky marvin uh did not make my list i think i thought about it for a second but 
I don't know. Just you know, I like Marvin, but the pandemic stuff not enough. Yeah, I love I love Ricky Marvin. Um, this might be this. You know, there's a few wrestlers where they're on here, and they might not, might not necessarily have like a ton of matches that are out there to sit there and make these cases for. I don't know necessarily. Uh, everything of Marvin's a made tape, but everything from Lucha Memes that I saw for Marvin and whatever scattered YouTube stuff, I really enjoyed. I thought he was uh really really good in um in um in that um that show long tournament. I think he's like as like the main guy, kind of like the face of Lucha Memes at this point, which is like funny and interesting to say. But I think that consistently he goes out there and has these really strong performances, these really strong matches, and. I don't know. He, he's a joy to watch. It's a joy to know where Ricky came from as a worker and what he started off as and to see this transition into not only this surly vet, but like this surly vet that takes a lot of fucking bumps for, for people too. He really goes out there and busts his ass uh, on, on uh, in these, in these matches when Ricky doesn't necessarily have to, and he can go, he can still bust out some really, insane looking stuff and he can still work on the mat whether do the big bump style work uh work gritty brawls whatever ricky marvin's great and he can just uh very adapt very adaptable and malleable to the situation that he's in and what the situation calls for and ricky ricky's been really strong at that uh really for the last like like five or six years but especially in uh in this pandemic time Look, seeing seeing Ricky was always uh was always a very welcome sight. So uh, you know, people could maybe have an argument against Ricky. I don't think uh, I don't think if you watch Lucha, you're gonna have an argument against Ricky. But uh, that's it. That's him at my uh, at my forty five. I'm at forty four rather. Forty four <laughs> yeah. rather. Forty four. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I, I definitely get it. Very solid in the stuff that I saw. The I remember, the, was it a Deppin match that he had in that show in Texas? That was a, I believe so. That was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so definitely a guy who I get. Been a, been a big fan of his for a long time, but just uh, not right now. I have not. You know, Lucha is especially not my thing. Whatever. Doesn't matter. 43, I don't think there's any chance you have him. Uh, Russian Dynamite, Masha Slamovich on my number 43. Yeah, no Masha from my, on my list. Yeah, I can't blame you. Um, you know, for a lot of reasons, I guess. Uh, just not incredibly high, really. Um, and then just based on where your list is at, it's like, okay, this is not. This doesn't wouldn't make any sense. But uh, yeah, just it, talking about intensity, uh, emotion, violence, wild chaoticness. Like Masha is, brings it in spades. Uh, phenomenal. Like again, that's the kind of the thing that I'm looking for. She starts out the pandemic in Japan, um, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, she wrestled like in Marvelous and uh, and uh, Wave a little bit, and then Sendai. Uh, you know, there's a ton of like really really awesome, like Masha when she was kind of just getting her feet under her, like learning and, and training in Japan. She comes back into America and just like is on fire um, from the second she gets here to just really show off what she can do. Um, the Travis Huckabee, who was a, we talked about it as we go through the list, right? Honorable mentions will come up. Travis Huckabee was a contender for making the list at one point. Um, 
I would honestly, I would be shocked, but I would also be very happy if he ends up on your list somewhere. Um, well deserved and, and really great wrestler who's underappreciated, especially throughout the pandemic, having a bunch of bangers. Um, but yeah, Masha had a great match with him in, during the year. A great match with Edith Surreal, as I talked about there, kind of feud with each other. Uh, was was a lot of fun. Great like series of matches with Janai Kai, who another one who unfortunately does not quite make my list, just because. To me, Masha just had a little bit more, like not just their feud, but also a lot of other great matches all over the place. Um, uh, yeah, like I said, intensity, fire, spark plug is like the best way to describe her. Seeing her live with Marina Shafir in one of my one of my be- one of my favorite matches of all time that I've ever seen live, one of my best matches of twenty twenty two for sure. Um, yeah, like that that definitely stands out. Like going like stuff with like Matt Mikowski charlie evan like just a ton of names like nicole savoy we talked about that match on um west coast pro wrestling just recently like just a ton of names that you would expect anthony henry i don't know if you saw that match that match ruled like she's had a couple matches with kimberly uh even like ryan galleon who just showed back up recently and i was like oh okay i kind of like was sort of high on him in the past and now he's back um, but she can mix it up with basically anybody, uh, because, because her style work can work with anyone because of just being intense, violent, like can grapple, can brawl, but always brings the, the fucking fire, brings the legitimacy when she's in the like blood sport shoot fight settings, brings the fucking fireworks and the dives and the craziness in every other setting. Yeah. Just, just, just a, uh, a real like intense kind of personality uh and just yeah huge over the top personality is a big part of her what makes her great so yeah that's a uh, masha masha super fun uh said so i didn't really consider her uh for my list if I'm, if I'm being honest but i got no issue with her in this spot at all i think she's a uh, i think she's i think she's really fun it can only get better as a worker too uh my number 43 someone that you'll probably have higher i guess uh uh miss our uh, dear old friend daniel makabe Yes, I have him a bit higher, um, but I can definitely, unfortunately, admit that he has he's been sliding down. Um, but my uh, my forty two, I don't think you'll end up having higher, is Calvin Tankman. Yeah, no Calvin Tankman for me. No Calvin Tankman, he says. All right, I mean, you know, that's a uh, that's fair. Um, just I, 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 I did I did sim- consider him for what it's worth. He was uh, someone that was probably in my last ten, that got, in my last ten cuts. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, just another one who plop him in anywhere. Doesn't matter the situation, be it you know shoot style, uh, lucha libre esque adjacent, you know spot fest, pure wrestling, you know whatever it is, the guy can do it all and com- comes across legit in every setting. Um, doesn't you know back down from anyone. Uh, always basically knows exactly who he is. Um, oh damn, I didn't even realize that early on uh, in the pandemic he uh, he actually had a uh, a luchaversal title match at one point um, because uh, like he uh, his bizarro lucha like lucha title run was like phenomenal and that was like the first time that he stood out to me as something. Um, and I didn't realize that there was any of that technically in 2020s because, you know, stuff and, and Bizarro Lucha feeling like it died a hundred years ago at this point. Um, 
great match with Tom Lawler that I, you know, remember vividly from PPW. Uh, the stuff when he does show up in GCW is he always kind of knocks it out of the park, no matter what bullshit they give him. Um, the Cole Radrick match. I don't know if uh, if you saw Tankman versus Radrick, who was another kind of late cut for me, um, was actually really good. Um, so yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a guy who, like I said, you can kind of put him anywhere, and he always is legit always believable always brings it and is super solid can work top of the card bottom of the card grappling spot fest hoss battle whatever you want from this guy you're gonna get it um and uh, he's gonna do a really fucking bang up job of it and uh, another one who you know just like you're saying with a lot of the people on my list it seems like we'll uh, have big uh big stuff moving forward all right so my number 42 I'm not sure if you'll have them as a team, maybe separately, if you have them at all. My number 42 is Aussie Open. Not on my list at all. Okay. Um, did not cross my mind. They had a couple good matches, but again, it's weird to even like try to make a, a case or a, a, an argument against something in the pandemic era for not enough, but it just felt like not enough there. Um... I totally agree, and I felt that way for the majority of the time in which I was coming up with how I wanted my fifth year look. But at the end of the day, I felt like the bits we got of Aussie Open, well, the good bits, rather, and the stuff we got of them in singles capacities, whether it might have been, say, like Kyle Fletcher's singles run in Rev Pro, where he was facing where he was facing uh, uh, Will, Os- Will Ospreay for the title, or Mark Davis when he came back from injury, and you're facing Robbie Eagles in like the eventual re- return. I feel like there like there wasn't enough differentiate differentiation from them. I think to say like have Kyle and not have Mark, or like you know vice versa. Um, and I feel like the tag team stuff is strong enough that I that I feel fine that I feel fine having them on my list where I have them in their best stuff, which I would say is like the velocities or the young guns or whatever. They look like the best tag team in the world, without a doubt. Like, it's been nice seeing uh, seeing Volunteers Forever get these spots and get this shine over the last couple of years, and I'm totally fine with that. And they've improved so much over the years that I I, I don't have any word negative words to say about them. I think that that tag team has improved tremendously, and they've improved each other. But I look at Aussie Open and I'm like, oh yeah, wow, like. And I don't know, it might be kind of a controversial statement, but it feels like, oh yeah, like Aussie Open is like here. Like they're a different kind of tier. And it's not just in like the move, 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 go, go, go stuff. It's their versatility. I've seen them work as the best baby faces and I've seen them work in control in really, really compelling work. Seeing Kyle Fletcher go from this tall, skinny, like twig of a human being to beefing up his build and being as big as Mark Davis pretty much and them just throwing dudes around is some is the best, some of the best control work you'll see anywhere. And I think that they've really grown into, into that heel work, into that heel role. And the stuff that we got from them in 2021 as a tag team returning to form I thought was really strong. And I thought that the singles work that we got from them, for the most part, we saw some we saw some strong stuff too. And Kyle in twenty twenty had some singles work at Rev Pro that I thought was that I thought was good. 
and some other, and some other and some other scattered stuff. While Mark Davis was out with was out with injury, so I could have had Kyle on here separately, I think, and I would have been fine. But I felt better grouping them up because I felt I still felt like the Aussie Open that I saw was still among the best tag teams in the world. Yeah, I can definitely see it. Um, weird comparison, I guess, but uh, I'll say like I'm in a a spot with them where it's kind of like uh, the UK wrestling scene was like uh, you know this shitty kind of shitty friend that we both had, and uh, and we but we kind of like broke it off or you know stopped hanging out with them, and now I kind of see them across the room and I'm just like, well, you know, you guys were never the problem. But I'm not quite ready to like say like oh let's just hang out you know we were in a bad situation together and I'm not ready to uh to necessarily completely jump all the way in uh, to being back on them but I definitely see that like there's it's still there and as you talked about you know the best probably the best tag team in the world really um, but unfortunately just don't get the shots or the chance to prove it as much as they should um, so yeah and I love the guys to bits as singles as well so yeah. I hope I hope that everything goes back to normal and they open things back up and that they don't end up just being like fucking lackeys to Osprey. You know, I'm kind of worried that that's where we end up with them um, because they have so much more potential to be so much bigger and better than just that. Um, my number forty one. Uh, I wonder if you're gonna have him on your list at all. Honestly, he's a guy that's kind of a weird one because I kind of feel like people have soured on him um that were higher on him before or people you've either like soured on him or you've gone like completely all in on he's the greatest wrestler of all time lee moriarty yeah i have lee i have um lee a good bit higher we probably won't get to him until the until the second installment okay all right well moving on all right uh my number 41 is someone that you'll have higher uh your man your guy jeff got jeff cobb Oh, he was a late cut. What? <laughs> Holy yep. fuck. What? I was thinking about him. I was thinking about him. But I'm going to say this. Just like you're just... It's perfect timing. Just just talking about the Aussie Open and being fucking lackeys to Osprey. Jeff Cobb having the stink on him of being fucking Osprey's lackey just turns me off to the point where I can't. Just couldn't do it. Like, I thought that it's crazy because he's had a great... A great couple of years he's doing like his career work really <laughs> according to y'all not according to me but according to everybody else i mean sure. i mean in terms of like I'm so, like you know that i like the like the that older cob stuff too in terms of like i mean you, you know what i mean in terms of total package like sure 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 yeah, yeah like um i thought i think cob has been really strong the last two years i think that uh, he's always been strong wait, wait, that's like his old gimmick is <laughs> a, a power guy um but Kyle's been really good the last couple of years, man. I've really, I've, I've enjoyed him. I've enjoyed him in, uh, in New Japan. I think that it took some time to figure out exactly what that role was, and like, it has come at the expense of being a quote unquote lackey for Will Ospreay. But my one of my favorite versions of Jeff Cobb was always that AAW heel version, heel version of Jeff Cobb in wrestling, and I feel like he's just pretty much being that in New Japan right now. And I think that that's been great. I think that whether it's with, whether it's with Naito or whether that's uh, other stuff on the card, like facing Shingo or teaming with, with Great Okan or being in the G1 or, or, or a New Japan Cup or whatever else, I think that Jeff Cobb has been really good 
uh once that once once that switch got flipped and his g1 before um before like turning heel and all that kind of stuff like was still was still was still good was still having was still having solid matches and everything but i feel like people were still kind of overlooking him and uh had these super high expectations for Cobb and like in weird ways and not just letting him be what he is but once that switch got flipped and he just got to be that heel version of Cobb that i've been longing for for a couple of years it was off to the races that's a money that's a money making star that's a guy that can be a legitimate force in that company if they wanted him to be that's him and him and Ocon, if they let them go out there and not have like thirty minute matches, but let them go out there and have fifteen minute matches for the tag team titles. And I guarantee that you'd get some like the best tag team title stuff that New Japan has had in ages. Uh I think that there's so much that you could do with Cobb and I think that Cobb really showed his worth. Uh not only in twenty twenty by having a solid year, but in twenty twenty one it felt like he uh he took it to a different level. And uh again He's still like behind Osprey in the pecking order and stuff like that, but Cobb gets protected a lot. Cobb Cobb is very protected. Cobb is a uh, clearly very highly thought of in New Japan, so I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if he uh got bigger pushes, got to do more stuff, maybe an I maybe an IWGP title shot, uh, or whatever. Like that stuff that stuff wouldn't shock me just because uh. I think that I think that New Japan is very much invested uh, in Jeff Cobb. Yeah, I mean, obviously they 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 see a lot in him. They see a lot of potential in him. Can't blame them. Um, I've I've been preaching for Jeff Cobb for a very long time. Um, so I, the Osprey stink. Osprey in general. I. But here's the question. Okay, this popped into my head thinking through all this stuff and thinking about our lists and the differences and just how wild things are, the fact that Cobb is not on my list. I have to ask you, because I think I think on our last list that we made, 2019, uh, for the year, he was your number one, I think. I can't remember 100%. Is Jay White on your list today? He is not. Okay, was he your number one in 2019? I think he was. No, he wasn't. It was uh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, David. It was. I thought he was for some reason. No, it was David. It was David Starr. My Jay White was my number two. Okay. And um. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's so that so that's why Jay White uh, was very was really close to being being my number one. And um, I guess uh, yeah. since uh, David Starr is now redacted, that would sure. that would make Jay White. <laughs> That's why. See that again. Like I talked about earlier, as soon as you're, you know, bad. As soon as you do anything bad, all of your wrestling disappears from my brain. That's why, in my mind, Jay White was your number one for 2019. That's how I remembered it. Um, either way, I was like, I thought about it. I was like, oh shit, because he's not on my list. Yeah. I, was like, I wonder if he's on your list because all, all he's done is strong. And then the new Japan, and then the new, even the new Japan stuff that we have is like, there's bits I like. There's stuff that will be on my match of the year list, but sure, sure. It's it, yeah. It, it hasn't been a it hasn't been a great couple last couple of years no. for for Jay. Uh-uh. Number forty for me, I think. Right? Is that where we're at? Was that your forty one? Was Jeff Cobb? Yeah, that's my forty one. All right, number forty for me is Fukugen Death slash uh, Kaori uh, Maniyame. <sighs> All right, Sam, go ahead. <laughs> really? No, Fukugen Death is good, but it's like that. Be your first Joshi entry is like. Well, again, other, other than Julia, because you Julia was a late Julia was yeah, a late yeah, addition, yeah, yeah. but it's like this sure, being sure, this sure, being your sure, first sure. Joshi entry is like really funny to me. 
don't hey don't worry you know like uh to be fair like uh i was i was close to having um uh shida haruka shida like on the list at this point but she got dropped off unfortunately um fucking get death rules man like i'm going to primarily refer to her that way but i also like love the kaori stuff uh all over the place just being like a fucking a true uh independent wrestler a freelancer as more what they use in japan but like mixing it up everywhere from like pure j wave oz academy uh you know all over the fucking place in the joshi world uh, having great matches gay uh, got to move like yeah like she fucking rocks she's a phenomenal wrestler the fukuken death gimmick is is so perfect we talked about it with the uh, uh, jml you know that like you can tell how good she is because she's able to fuck around. It's the same as like the Orange Cassidy thing, which is another interesting one because he doesn't make my list. But uh, I wonder if he makes yours. Um, either way, moving forward, yeah, five star Grand Prix, uh, 2020 and 2021. She phenomenal fucking showings in both tournaments. Again, like a big, a big fucking standout member um, of uh, uh, the Oeda tie at this point when it's just like they kind of suck for the most part but at least she's cool like that's kind of that's kind of like the best one of the best parts of the fucking group to me as far as I'm concerned um, she kind of is realistically to me the only thing that I really care about the group at this point um, yeah Fukingen Death Rocks um, just interesting entertaining like I said I, I've always been a big fan of like comedy wrestling when it's done properly um, and sh- I think that she knocks it out of the park because the way to, to me, the best way to make comedy out of wrestling is to understand it so well that the joke isn't, you know, you don't make a joke of wrestling. You make a joke of like certain like weird parts of wrestling. And I just think that she does a really good job of being like postmodern, um, in the, in the humor that she does while also, like I said, continuing to have fucking kick-ass matches all over the Joshi scene. Um, you can pick up tons of stuff like, like just random matches all over the place, um tomoko watanabe recently kick-ass match you know what i mean like just the pure j uh championship match with a uh, leona like yeah the, uh, i mean just tons of fucking kick-ass stuff outside of stardom but the the stardom stuff has been you know it's kind of the, the open the door and then i like went back and looked into it and was just like holy shit like yeah this is no this is no joke she's a fucking awesome wrestler so yeah Fukingen Death, Kore, Yomona, Yomi, ah, whatever. Everyone knows who I'm talking about, and if you know, you know. So, uh, yeah, Quentin, that's my uh, 40, number 40. All right, uh, my number 40 is Alex Shelley. I have him, I think, slightly higher. We might get to him tonight. Maybe, maybe, we'll see. Okay, what's your 39? Uh, my, uh, My number 39, you're talking about... You're, you're, you're throwing uh, auspicious looks towards my representation of Joshi. Uh, Utami Hayashishida is my number 39. Do you have her higher? I do not have Utami on my list. Okay. Um, obviously, an interesting uh, role to be thrown in as kind of being a rookie phenom role having the title probably sooner than you deserve or as, long, as far as a lot of people think. Um, you know, not being kind of well-seasoned enough to be presented as the ace of the company, all that stuff. But, uh, I think in the big matches, in the big spots, super delivers, um, you know, has an aura, has a presence, has a a legitimacy, has a violence, has kind of all that, like, like, again, like the, the comparison to the 
the rookie, you know, rookie, uh, rookie monster type gimmicks, um, you know, Rhino, <laughs> Goldberg, Brock Lesnar, those are the ones that always stand out to me. And she is in that conversation of having like the same kind of vibe, uh, not, you know, not at the, the, the peak, peak high highs of it, but definitely very believable has a, 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 a presence to her that comes across above everything. Um, unfortunately becomes i think for a lot of people becomes the face of the bushi road new japanification of stardom um you know really feels like maybe trying to be the okada of stardom you know i think julia weirdly i think that if you were going to compare julia to a uh to like a new japan kind of star i think she would be more like a bushi really um yeah you know, that, that, you know, that, that, that would check out with me yeah yeah, and and uh, Utami is kind of more the Okada. I think they want her to be their Okada. I don't know if she will be. And and Tam is obviously uh, uh, Ta- Tanahashi. Um, if you're gonna do these comparisons, but why would you? Why would you need to? You know, they're their own things. They don't need to be uh, compared that way. Uh, the series with Shuri. Uh, Shuri was a late cut for my list, so that's why she doesn't quite make it. But just I I don't know. Just not for me. And and you know what? I hate to say this, but uh, Siri kind of gets a little bit negative markings from me because I feel like people overhype her um, in a way that she doesn't deserve and that just negatively affects the way that I ap- appreciate what she does. While meanwhile, like I feel like Utami doesn't, I won't say get shit on, but she doesn't get people going cr- as crazy for her, as le- at least not in the Western fandom. Um, maybe maybe uh, in Japan there's tons of like fucking U- Utami stands that would like gross me out in the same way. Um, but yeah, I just think... Always delivers in the big spots. She may not be like a night in, night out, like phenomenal worker, but in the big spots, I think that she has never, I've never been disappointed in the Utami matches, and that's pretty impressive for somebody at her level. I do think that Utami's been thrown into a rough spot, so like I don't blame her. You know what I mean? It's definitely the situation of what she's been thrown into, and I can't say that she's done a bad job. She's done her job as garnered buzz garnered buzz and attention for stardom so i can't say that she's not delivering and what her role is it's just not hitting for me and what i'm looking for out of my wrestling which is a shame because i like utami as a rookie i was one of those people that was hyping up utami's rookie uh rookie year and her being special and stuff like that so i like utami i have a soft spot for utami and eventually i want to get back to a place where i enjoy her work more that i'm just not uh I'm just not there at the moment, but we can move on from Rutami onto another onto another stardom worker. My number thirty nine is Momo Watanabe. Not on my list. Uh, definitely should be, and that feels like a major oversight on my part. So I apologize for that. Momo, uh, anyone that does listen to any Psychology Is Dead audio over the year knows how much I love Momo Watanabe, and. I don't like the fact that in this current era of stardom that she's had to mostly take a back seat to other people. But with that being said, with what Momo gets to do, she's always great. Whether it is the Cinderella or the Grand Prix or even tag stuff in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the goddesses tournament, whether it's the SWA title match versus Fury from 2020, whether it's the, uh, uh, wonder, wonder of stardom match, versus versus uh versus Mayu from the beginning of from the beginning of 2020 uh even the even the stuff from 2021 and the Grand Prix versus Yuri in the uh, versus Yuri in the final the Starlight Kids stuff uh 
the the uh, stu- the uh, the match from the anniversary show. I forgot I forgot I forgot who she faced on that anniversary show. Uh, but Momo in whatever spot that she gets, even if she isn't super prominent, even if she is not get, not getting pushed the same way that Utami, Julia, even Tam, Mayu, uh, even like Asaya may be getting, Momo's great. And Momo continues to be great and deliver. And just like on a match-by-match basis, there's not many people in Sardom who has a floor as high as Momo's whenever she's involved in something. It doesn't matter who she's tagging with. When Momo tags in, the fireworks start. The kicks start. They start popping off. And the match immediately goes up another notch whenever Momo is in it. And she has that quality to her work and has always had that quality to her work. Um... I'm excited to see what 2022 holds with the fresh heel turn and the fresh coat of paint with uh, Momo, Momo being the leader of uh, Edo Tai now. So we'll see where, the, where this fresh uh, coat of paint goes for Momo Watanabe. And I think that she badly needed it. To be honest with you, I think that Queen's Quest got to the point where either Utami or Momo had to go. And it just made more sense for Momo to be the one that uh, that, that left the group. And I'm, exci- I'm excited, man. I think that means that they do have some semblance of a plan for Momo, even, even if that just one means being a challenger, even if that means just holding the white belt, whatever. It means that there's some kind of plan for Momo, and that's enough for me, really. So Momo, still in 2020 and 2021, she was really great despite, you know, limited roles and not getting pushed super hard, and she always made the most out of what she got. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, goddamn, I uh, gotta kick myself a bit for missing that one. But I think I'm, I think I'm beyond the point of pulling any audibles tonight. So, um, thirty-eight for me. I don't know if it'll be on your list. El Lindemann. No Lindemann. Okay, can't blame you. Uh, really kind of um, under the radar. I'll say a little bit. Uh, working in some of the scuzzier of scuzzy indies. Um, but that's that strong hearts, baby. That's how strong hearts do. Uh, when they left, and when they left uh, Dragon Gate, and then kind of the um, oh god, I can't even remember what the fucking name of that Chinese promotion was at this point. Um, I'm sure you remember, but uh, oh god, what the fuck was the name of that? But either way, ever since then they've just been scuzzing it around everywhere. Um, they're showing up. I mean, even in some of the dirtiest places you could imagine, like AEW. Um, you know, <laughs> these guys just will work anywhere. They worked like in the crash, uh, IWRG, Defy, like you know, goddamn, can you think of dirtier places? DDT even, um, you know, where where will they not work? Wrestling Revolver, C four, you know, but uh, yeah, these they, El obviously, always been a huge fan of his and continues to deliver, continues to just be like, I don't know, um has just like this really he's really developing into a vibe that i did not predict for el lindeman the cutie the little cute guy that was tagging with yosuke santa maria he's becoming he's becoming almost and this is a definitely a weird comparison that i'll probably be the first person to ever make he's becoming like uh, a japanese version of rick rude He's like very scuzzy and posts like sexually alluring photos on his Instagram, which I just find very, uh, very enticing, I will say. Um, yeah, I just I fucking love this guy. Um, he continues to kick ass like um, especially in in Gleet 
his showings there are phenomenal. He's kind of, you know, becoming a, a big time star in Gleet as far as I'm concerned. Um, everywhere he pops up just always fucking kicks ass because he continues to be just as solid of a fucking like phenomenal in-ring technician and just fucking top level kick-ass suplex machine kind of guy. Holy shit. You know what just popped in my head? This motherfucker needs to wrestle Hook. I need to see El Lindem and Hook so that would, bad. That now. would be really good. <laughs> oh my god! Then he's the zero, you know, being the zero one uh, junior heavyweight champion, being the ace of zero one <laughs> junior division, you know, real big time stuff. Like I said, he's working the scuzziest fucking spot show bullshit, but uh, El Lindeman always kicks ass. I love him, and like I said, he's he's the twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two. He's the twenty twenties. Let's say the Roaring Twenties. Uh, Rick Rude of of the new era. This guy is just disgusty and sleazy and nasty but just fucking legit just like rick rude i mean that guy was legit in ring he's a badass kick-ass kind of guy lindeman is also kick-ass violent but also like just has this like unbridled kind of like i said just nastiness i love i love el lindeman because again i did not expect him to turn into what he's turned into but he is uh he's the best at, at what he does i love linda i've always loved linda I just didn't see enough of uh, Gleet in like the random in the random uh, spots that he did to uh, be able to rank him, but I will always have a soft spot for uh, for El Lindemann, and he always jumps off the page whenever whenever I see him. Uh, my number thirty eight is someone I don't know. I, th- I think I think you'll have if you don't, then uh, I think all your credibility will be uh, will be lost here. Uh, do you have Harashima at thirty eight? I don't have him at 38, actually, because I have him uh, much higher. Okay, okay. So you you do have Harashima. Yes. All right, all right, all right. Um, yeah, yeah. My, uh, my 37 um, is... Uh, I, I think you might not have him at all, honestly, and I couldn't blame you. Uh, just not a ton there. But my 37 is Darius Lockhart. No one Darius Lockhart... He he was injured. Like it's and, and I know that yes, he, yes. he still had he still he did have stuff, but and and uh, like one of his matches from twenty twenty one is one of my favorite matches of the year. It just wasn't enough yeah. for me to really get there with him. Well, I think the same match is my twenty twenty one match of the year, so that kind of helps him quite a bit. Um, I'm basically in love with like everything that he did do during the pandemic, including like promos, including you know yeah like kind of getting out there with that that is phenomenal but yeah like the the brian keith match fucking amazing um shane taylor match and vip kicks ass o'shea edwards match phenomenal um and again we talked about ricky stark's match on aew again aew youtube content fucking rocks so check that out uh the aria davari oh wait you know what that shit doesn't even count oh yeah it does i'm sorry i was thinking 2022 it does aria davari match that match was actually really good. It was on uh, NWA on their uh, their like whatever TV show thing that they do now. You have to like either pay for it's a fucking crazy how you pay for it. It's way too much, or you just you know steal it from the internet. Um, yeah, and then the the Lee Moriarty match it's was so fucking good. So yeah, like, again, very 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 limited amount, but we talked about it earlier. It's twenty, it the the COVID era. It's really hard to make cases against people for not having a ton of stuff there. I guess maybe I could have put Ozzy Open in his spot, but uh, I don't know. Like I said, Ozzy Open hang out with Will Osprey and Darius Lockhart doesn't, so he's gonna make my spot on the list.
I love Darius. You know that I've loved like me and you have both talked up Darius for years. So it's not a it's not, it's not a lack of uh, enjoyment out of Darius's work or not uh, thinking highly of him. Just yeah, just what just wasn't enough for me, enough for me to get there with him. So not yeah, mad for sure. Yeah, it's not, definitely a push. Yeah, not not mad not mad at all. At you having him there. Uh, my number thirty seven, a guy that um, I'm, I'm gonna assume you have higher, but I, I number thirty seven, I have Hangman Page. I have him higher, and yeah, it's it's very it'll be very pushing it if we talk about him tonight. Okay, all right. So who's your thirty six? Uh, my thirty six. I don't think you're gonna have him. I mentioned him earlier. Is uh, Anthony Henry? Yeah, no Anthony Henry for me. I can't blame you. Like I said, uh, weird weird pandemic era, but the motherfucker cap ends the pandemic with like being at the peak of his powers. Early 2020, Anthony Henry, one of the best heels that you've ever seen in the history of wrestling. This motherfucker was so good at being just dismissive, violent, aggressive, shitty, like, oh my fucking God. After so much bullshit with the fucking tag team, like the work horseman is fun, whatever. The stuff that you would see with him doing all the spot fests with fucking... You know, Matt Riddle and and trying to, like, be, like, the southern version of Zack Sabre Jr. and all that stuff. And then finally, he's just bringing the scuzzy fucking southern heel stuff that we used to watch him do, like, in Anarchy and places like that. And he's bringing it to the main stages of the, the bigger indie promotions and finally showing off what he can do. Especially, like, showing off what he can do with someone like Kyle Matthews, who he's had... A million fucking wrestling matches with Anthony or Fred Yehi, another guy he's had tons of matches with. He's finally bringing that bullshit to like the bigger promotions and showing off what he's really the best at. And yeah, like his 2020 starting out was at the peak of his fucking powers when it comes to being a shitty heel. Goes into 2021, has a couple good matches here and there, then gets signed to WWE whatever it's like that's a black hole it kind of doesn't exist there was the roddy strong match that was very good i'll recommend that one um but yeah otherwise nothing nothing great there uh i think he did have a match with um uh alex zane while he was in wwe but i don't even remember it being worthwhile so whatever then he comes back and instantly comes back eddie kingston match phenomenal um Gets back with the work horseman, has great matches with him again. Chip Day match, really good. JT Dunn match, really good. Um, yeah, uh, AC Mack match in action. Now he's, ooh, he's getting back into that heel bullshit that I was hoping he would show, he would show off. Um, and then, and then, uh, very recently, uh, match with, like I said, Masha Slamovich at, at, uh, action. And he's showing off this guy just as good as he's ever been as a fucking bullshit piece of shit motherfucking heel uh so so great um and then this is not count as part of the the whole thing but recently on the southeast first last weekend uh the match with adam priest that was the chef's kiss this motherfucker i love that i love anthony henry being a piece of shit he's so good at being a piece of shit um so yeah he is uh yeah he's great you you do not imagine how good his hair that hair slicks back you should see you should see how good his hair slicks back because he's a real piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, Anthony Henry's fucking awesome, man. Uh, again, not a thing of not liking Anthony Henry or not thinking that his work is that good. I just didn't see. I just didn't see a lot of that work. I just, I just didn't see it. But 
like you said, that work before going to WWE, he was doing his best single stuff ever. And it seems like he's picking up right where he left off, which doesn't surprise me at all because Anthony Henry clearly has the mind for wrestling, clearly has the physical capabilities to go out there and, and, and deliver. So not not mad at all about uh, him having a spot on your list. My number 36 is Zack Sabre Jr. Ooh, that hits. That hits hard. Uh, he is technically on my list very shortly, but you can talk about Zach now, I guess. I don't know what to do. Okay, so do you have, do you have Techers on your list? I do. Huh. Okay. All right. So let me just yeah. do do my, do my Zach thing, I guess. Um, yeah. So, I mean, what is it to say about Zach? Right. It's like the stuff that he gets to do is like really repetitive, and like he doesn't really get to do. Like, anything that, like, breaks through or has been super interesting in the last couple of years. But the good Tekkers stuff is really good. The stuff the stuff versus Hanahashi and Ibushi is actually very solid. So it's not like all of the Tekkers stuff is bad. There's the uh, there's the Osprey stuff from before the, from, from before the pandemic um, in New Japan and in, and in Rev Pro. Both of those matches being really, really good from 2020. And we have his G1 stuff, the New Japan Cup stuff, and all those runs facing the usual run of opponents, the Ibushis, the Okadas, the Tanahashis, Naitos, all that, all that usual stuff. And since Zach has come into New Japan, he's been a, he's, he's perennially been like a top five performer in a G1 for the most part. I don't think that's a stretch. I don't think that's a stretch to say that in a G1, usually when Zach is in it, he's one of the best performers. And... We have we have a couple of G one tournaments. We got some New Japan Cup tournaments. We got some World Tag Leagues and some good Techers matches. We got some random we got some random good stuff like Zach like Zach's matches versus Young Lions like Gabriel Kidd and stuff like that. And oh no, for me for me it was enough. It's not might might not be the most interesting work. There's not like a crown jewel there for me personally. Like not something that like stands above the heap. That can real that I can really point to for Zach, and maybe use to get him higher. There's really great stuff. Like again, again, Okan, Shingo, Okada, Abushi as always is great. Everything like that, but nothing that is like ahead of the pile that could maybe give Zach a bigger push. But based off what Zach did do, and being again a top five guy in in these in these tournaments perennially, in Having the tag team stuff, I thought it, I thought it was more than enough, uh, and was in, in this current climate to be able to justify a spot for Zach. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see it. I will talk more about this as we get there. My number thirty-five is the Ace God Eric Royal. All right, I did not have Eric Royal. Limited again, another limited case. All of my. U.S. Indie guys are going to be limited cases because we talked about it. U.S. Indies don't really exist. That's why it's hard for me to put them on here, really. Um, I wanted to get like someone like John Davis on here because I thought that he had a great, like, a lot of really cool matches. Great vibe. Like I said, the whole that's a big part of the thing. But, you know, can't really make that argument. Can't really force those guys in. But Ace, Ace always fucking delivers. The guy is just jumps off the fucking page the second you see him primarily a big huge most of his cases action wrestling obviously 
wins the championship early early in the pandemic carries the company on his back the biggest fucking star of the company the biggest best champion ever as far as i'm concerned for the the, the company i love ac mac but i love the fucking ace god eric royal this motherfucker just knows how to work a crowd knows how to work in the ring during the pandemic i believe he had two phenomenal matches with daniel makabe which is definitely going to put you on my list uh i think actually maybe three or about to work the third i think that's coming up either way great match with dominic garini uh great match with logan creed where i was like damn is logan creed actually good turns out no he is not just keep that in mind guys i know you get excited you think he might be good he's not good uh yeah his stuff in the scenic city invitational was great this year just ace god one of the best unheralded unappreciated wrestlers of all time me and you've been a big fans of his for a very long time at this point we've looked back at his work even before we were fans and been like what the fuck we should have been fans sooner like this guy is so good like i said knows how to work a crowd knows how to fucking bring it like this guy just one of the best of all time and for especially for the u.s indies will never get the due he deserves but at least he got to show off during the pandemic as the champion, as as the ace that he so aptly is uh, for action wrestling and, and just phenomenal wrestler. Uh, my number 35, I have uh, your pal, Tomohiro Ishii. Oh, shit. Um, I think he made my list this year. Let me you look, double you check. Look, let me get a confirmation he here. Was, Fuck, he was supposed to. Ah, what the fuck? <laughs> Let me just make sure I got him somewhere. Uh, okay. Okay, there he is. Yes, he will be coming up soon. Okay, all right. So Ishii yeah, is on your list. Yes, yes. He's on my list this year. All right, okay. Let's uh, do your 34. Okay. Um. So my next... My 34. Okay, so this spot, maybe you'll have it higher... I was like debating with trying to fight, figure out how to have like a spot for a feud. I kind of wished that there was a way to like just put a feud on the list, you know. Um, I was like, maybe I could put a team. I was like, no, nah, it doesn't make sense. So, Chihiro, uh, Chiri, ah, fuck, <laughs> Chishihiro Hashimoto, uh, thirty-four here. Like I said, I was, I wish that I could have made a spot for the Marvelous versus Sendai Girls feud for the list. Okay, uh, so Chihiro Hashimoto. I assume you have her higher. No, I don't okay. I don't I don't have Chihiro. I have a participant from that feud on my list, but not Chihiro. Okay. Uh to me, I mean maybe not the star of the feud, but definitely like obviously a big part of it. The ace to me felt like was meant to be the ace of it. Always delivered huge with the like the aggressiveness, the violence. That feud, again, the Marvelous versus Sendai Girls um feud it was like a big fucking deal for the pandemic um great like phenomenal matches as the champion of holding multiple belts uh oh shit didn't even realize this but i guess the nautilus tag team match technically happened in 2020 it's not really part of the pandemic but it was before um that i remember that match kicking ass on sweet dreams um yeah so yeah like i said always fucking insanely clearly the focus but always delivered in the stuff for the marvelous sendai girls feud um great match with like sayuri we talked about talked about her earlier almost making the list uh great match in the uh, team 200 uh, kilogram i guess kg 
I uh, loved a ton of the team 200 kg stuff, her and you. And then I think they also wrestled each other uh, in a singles match that I really loved. Um, so, yeah, just always been a fan of, of C-Hash um, f- as soon as I've ever seen her. I remember the, the when she was in the GDT Grand Prix recently. I was already a fan of hers before that, but I thought that she delivered really solidly there. I think that maybe other people didn't love her as much in that as I did, um, if I remember back to that time. But, yeah, I thought um really ruled and like i said if i was able to it would have been much higher if i was able to just like give a spot to a feud the feud would have been up the list higher than this but i was like okay make a spot and i put c hash in the in this spot here um and i guess you have somebody else from the feud only one person from the feud on your list or just only or you have someone higher there's one person from the feud on my list okay all right well we will continue to move forward all right, my number thirty-four is Io Shirai. Io Shirai, uh, not on my list. Uh, no, I, I, I have nobody under WWE contract on my list. I can understand why Io might not have made your list. It's not like she had a like the, like she could have made a bunch of noise. Um, but in the spots in which Io got to shine in NXT, Io was really, really good. Um. Even the stuff that maybe didn't get to live up to its fullest potential, like Io versus Sasha Banks, was still really good. The triple threat with Io, Rhea, and Charlotte, where Io won the title, is really good. The Io versus Rhea title match on NXT on NXT television, Io versus Dakota Kai at Takeover, Io versus versus Candice LeRae, Io versus like like Zoe Starks on television, and Io get. What she did, what she was able to do to get out, get a great match out of Raquel Gonzalez, is one of the best individual performance of individual performances of twenty twenty one in my opinion, and like I said, EO didn't get a lot of chances really, and especially EO now, NXT has gone a complete facelift, and there's just been a bunch of fluctuation and changes within within that brand, so despite everything that's been going on, EO has been going out there and just doing what she can and you know in the time that EO's been down at NXT she's felt like the best wrestler there she's felt like the best wrestler on that brand since the moment she walked since the moment she walked in and the last couple of years was just that kind of validation needed that you know that baby face run didn't didn't take immediately but you know giving her some time and letting her fight let her letting her figure out the act it was able to work and I think that EO really does no, within the confines of that, feel like a star. Obviously, on the main roster, that didn't that wouldn't really work. So I want to see EO possibly go back to Japan, maybe go to AEW, whatever. But it showed me that EO can translate to a bigger audience. It's there. EO just based off her wrestling ability, the charisma that she's developed, it's there. She can be a major household name. It's just gonna depend on letting her go out there and just fucking do it so I, I i'm i'm glad to have eo made the list i think i think that she, i think she's made like every incarnation of this list every version of this list from 2016 for me i think that she's made every single one which again there's not many wrestlers that can say that can say stuff like that which is funny funny to say but year by year the wrestling landscape can change so much and someone can just not make the list and i think that is a testament to eo and her ability and how highly I think of her that, you know, she's still she's still making the list consist consistently uh 
despite the changes in WWE and like the changes that might still be coming. For for all we know, 2022 could end and Io Shirai could not be WWE anymore. Yeah, and, and you know, you say that just like the wrestling landscape changes. You have to also keep in mind that like taste changes, right? Like like your opinion of 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 her can also change and affect where she's at, but it does not because of again the consistency. Eo's definitely a strong person to be on the list repeatedly. She's been on my list in the past. But again, I don't have. I think, uh, you know, I meant, I talked about Anthony Henry earlier, and I did like completely breezed over his you know two or five live matches. I think he would be the closest thing I have to anybody on my list who is contracted by WWE. Um, uh, I, uh, <laughs> I guess I've I've kind of trolled like this before in the past, and I and I hate to do it, but uh, but maybe uh, yeah, maybe we'll I'll just move on. Uh, my 33, I think we were just talking about it. Like I said, trying to make a spot for a feud. I made it another spot for the same, for another person, part of the feud. Maybe this is the person you have higher. Uh, Mio Momono is my, uh, 33. Yeah. I have Mio a few spots higher. We'll be talking about her shortly though. Okay. Cool. All right. Uh, all right. Well, I have, uh, someone that you'll have higher at number 33. I have AJ Gray. Uh, you would be incorrect. I do not have AJ Gray on my list. Oh, wow. Really? Okay. Yeah. He was in my thought for being wrestler of the year of the of 2020, but when I looked back on it, this did not uh, did not deliver. I thought my I was it was like a 2019 prediction. 2020 is going to be the year for this guy, and he did not live up to my prediction at all. Now I may not have ever thought that AJ would be my wrestler of the year at any point, but what AJ is is a model of consistency that I think that the U.S. Indies like has really needed and specifically the section of the u.s indies that aj the aj covers like that realm of the black label pro gcw like that realm i feel like aj is the most consistent performer in the biggest in, in the big in the biggest indie in america which i feel like says something and it really is a testament to aj's ability um he might not have these matches that transcend and become match of the year can, can, candidates, at least for me. AJ's never been that kind of guy, but AJ is a walking three-star match. AJ is a walking banger, three and a quarter, three and a half, and then you know it, it can it can trend higher, say like his Lee Moriarty match uh, from GCW, and he can have stuff like that that like you know starts to like reach a little bit, reach a little bit greater, but. AJ is a model is a model of consistency. It's sheer attrition. He goes out there and you get riled up. You hear the theme. You hear Waka Flocka. You're into it. He goes out there, hits hard. The matches bang. And people are into it. The crowd is into it. They're shit talking and like it. It works every single time. And it might not have taken AJ to places where I think he can go. Where I think AJ can be an even bigger star. I think that AJ could be the face of GCW. At some point, I think that AJ could be the main guy in a, in a promotion like he is in West Coast Pro and stuff like that. I think that those things are still out there for AJ Gray to take him to higher levels because he's still a super young guy. But for right now, I view AJ as like a model of consistency. I think that you're, you're like, it'll be, it's not often that you have wrestlers as common, like, that are, that are, that are like, like, that are as consistent as AJ Gray in terms of, you know what you're going to get. You know what to expect, and you're not bored by it. You're not like, okay, AJ Gray's going to go out there and slap a guy and do a Larry and stuff like that. Like, you're still, your jaw still drops seeing AJ Gray do whatever he wants to do and seeing him adapt and change his style over the years and 
really refined it to the point where it is now, uh, it's always a pleasure to watch AJ. And like I said, this might not always be match of, match of the year contenders or like these really big highlights. I can see saying that some of AJ's stuff blends together, but when I see AJ Greg in the card, I'm still going to watch that match in nine times out of 10. I'm going to leave that match thinking it was good. And if you just are stacking up and stacking up and stacking up all these good matches by the end of the year, when we're doing nerdy stuff like this, that's going to matter. And that's what gets AJ on my list. That's pretty fair. I mean, overall, that's, that's a very fair take on him. I think that, you know, me kind of souring on him and not thinking that he lived up to the potential and my prediction for him is a big part of it. I think leaning into GCW stuff it kind of hurt him in some ways. Um, again, you talked about, you know, being too good for this, doing the deathmatch stuff, being in, I think, probably in the conversation. I can't say the worst because I know that there's a lot worse, but in my conversation for worst matches of 2022... Uh, with the war games match that I could not fucking stand, like that kind of stuff hurts him. Unfortunately, um, you know, just just there's just certain situations where he doesn't deliver at the level that I would hope for in places where I want him to, and he's also doing stuff that I'm just not a huge fan of. Um, so yeah, like you know, whatever. I don't like the second gear crew thing, and he's a big part of it, and it just kind of throws off his vibe to me. Whatever. Um, leave that for another day um moving on to my number 32 uh you mentioned the stadium stampede i have the inter circle as my number 32 uh talked about it before we started but i'm sure that you don't have them you might have members of the group on your list correct <laughs> i don't have anyone from the group on my Good. list <laughs> but um all right yeah, yeah. Make, make make your case for the inner circle okay so the inner circle as a group, as a unit, I think is more powerful than any singular wrestler in the group. In fact, uh, a lot of the wrestlers in the group I can't fucking stand. Um, at least two of them. Um, but the vibe, and we talked about the pandemic being a vibe thing. Uh, they are a big part of it, realistically. Uh, the stadium stampede standing out as something special and something that uh, really broke up the doldrums of the shitty era. It was supposed to be a war games match. It was supposed to be blood and guts. Uh, and it turns into what it turned into. I think, um, is really kind of what you, what we get out of it. Um, Santana and Ortiz sneakily having a ton of great tag team matches together. Uh, trios matches with either, you know, rotating in Hagar, uh, Jericho or Guevara in the spot. Uh, they always deliver really, Santana and Ortiz are the workhorses of the inner circle, um, constantly having bangers, constantly dealing with whoever they have to deal with, either someone solid or someone shitty <laughs> being their partner, um, and making something out of it. Uh, yeah, Jericho, again, Jericho sucks, but he serves his role when it comes to the big, like over the top freak show stuff. They've also got like, they've got multi-man tags with like, with groups, not just the elite, but also, you know, random thrown together tag teams um plus having the 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 match with american top team plus doing uh you know uh, uh they actually finally end up doing a uh, war games match with the elite um you know so again like definitely a vibe definitely a standout they have a second stadium stampede with the pinnacle like you know the, they they just as a unit they're the biggest unit of the pandemic again 
do I love every member of the group? No. But the group itself, I've always kind of liked. I hate to say it. But Jericho is nerdy and shitty and annoying. But him in the inner circle, I'm okay with as part of the group. Um, so, yeah, like... The inner circle, I think, when you talk about the pandemic, I don't think it's possible to talk about pandemic wrestling and not talk about the inner circle. They've took up a ton of time on TV. They had a bunch of uh, multiple standout matches, interesting storylines. And again, you've got Santana and Ortiz being workhorses, mixing in a bunch of different random shit and dealing with it and, and always delivering solid matches with her. Uh, with whoever they have to deal with. So yeah, that's a, that's my inner circle bit here. All right. Well, I'm going to leave you to fend for yourself on that one. Uh, I, my number 32, I have Luke Jacobs. That's one of the, the young guns, right? That is. I, uh, I thought about getting the young guns, but I did not. Um, I thought Luke Jacobs was the better of the young guns. Um, you know, you know, I enjoy Ethan Allen, but I like Luke Jacobs blending in not just like the uh, the the shooty kicking elements, but also the kind of like that. Uh, he has a bigger build, so the lariats and more uh, more hossy okay. heavyweight stuff. I was about to say, I was, I was, I was like, I'm so mixed up. I was like, is Luke Jacobs the Kyle O'Reilly one or the other one? Yeah, Luke, okay. Luke Jacobs so is, the is, is the is the uh, is the is the bigger one. Yeah. So now I know who he is. I, I honestly I mix them up so yeah, much totally. in my head that I can't remember. Yeah. So uh, Luke Jacobs is the one of the two that's uh that's on, that's on my list here. Um, again, in the lifeless husk that is European pro wrestling at the moment, Luke Jacobs was one of the shining lights. He like in in, in spots where there was like the natural progression. Or uh, other other spots on those pro, on those progress shows that came out, or on Rev Pro, wherever he showed up, Luke Jacobs was always really consistent and really strong. And based off what was left of the scene, you know, maybe the best guy left. You know, like you look at it, I think he's better than fucking Ricky Knight Jr. and shit like that. I think he's better. I think he's I think he's better than Car Noir. I think he's better than at least on the same level as Chris, as Chris Ridgway or whatever, like, you look at it, and it's bleak, and it's a kind of a dim husk of a scene, but Luke Jacobs tried his best and, like, did some, and did some, and did some good stuff. Like, something like Luke Jacobs versus Mike Bailey from RevPro really stands out for, like, the level of competition that Luke Jacobs can stand in front of, and I don't think he feels out of place. I don't think he feels out of place tagging with Will Ospreay to face uh god what's the what what, what the fuck TK Cooper and Chuck Mambo's goofy tag team name is Sunshine Machine yeah uh like them and Ricky Knight Jr I don't think that he that they're out of place tagging with Will Ospreay in one of the most fun matches of the year I don't think they're out of place facing Aussie Open uh in in, in a big show in in front of over a thousand people like these got the the young guns as a tag team are always so poised and feel like they're ready for really like they're ready for the moment and their style really lends itself to uh not get not being overcome by their nerves because it's so straightforward it's so in your face hard hitting and not relying on like messing up not relying on spots so it's not like there's a ton that you can mess up there but I think Luke Jacobs was the better one in terms of his singles work. And uh, for me, that's why I'm giving Luke Jacobs the edge here. Yeah, for sure. I can see that. 
I think that comparatively between the two, um, Ethan Allen stands out a bit to me at times. Um, but just, that's just because I think probably just because of like the shape that he's in. Um, but realistically, Luke Jacobs is uh, definitely very solid and probably the better worker of the two in some of the stuff that I've seen. Um, so yeah, that's that's a fair one. Uh, my 31, you mentioned uh, earlier part of the team. I have the Dangerous Techers. Okay, yeah. Um, I had Zach down at... Hold on, let me see where I have Zach at. Hey, Zach at 36. So, okay. go ahead. Uh, sell me on why Taichi deserves to make this list. Uh, because, I mean, as you were talking about Zack Sabre Jr. there, I feel like a ton of your fucking argument was the Techers. You're talking about the stuff that they did together, which was, I, I honestly think, the bulk of Zach's best work was in the Techers, and I think that it's really kind of ridiculous to be like, oh, but Zach gets it because he had a couple singles matches here and there that you liked. You're like, okay, the Gabe Kid match was very good. The Shibata match, obviously, that's doesn't. I don't even think that that should count, really. Um, but whatever, fair enough. It's part of the argument. But otherwise, I mean, everything that he did in the year was primarily the Dangerous Tekker stuff, and it was a bunch of like really good tag team matches. These guys repeatedly went out there. The only argument that I could see making, and this is like, this is a Zack Sabre Jr. argument from the beginning. So the fact that I'm like, I have to use it against you seems unfair, but it's just, it's the truth. Repetitive, right? That the matches become repetitive. It was even worse and on display with the Techers because the Techers seem to get into feuds and then just wrestle the same people over and over again. Primarily like G.O.D. Like they had like so many fucking matches, but also having like tons of matches with like L.I.J. Just over and over again, the same match. And it does. And then like the stuff with Ibushi and Tanahashi, it feels like it's just, oh, it's just the same match over and over again. Like I could definitely see arguing like these guys just have repetitive matches, right? But I think... It doesn't matter. Again, it's the same argument that people make about Zach. Even as a singles wrestler, the stuff becomes repetitive and boring. I think it's always very solid. It's always really good. It's not their fault that you're seeing it a ton. They're doing the same stuff over and over again. That's just re- what wrestling has always been for fucking ever. It's the idea that like people would do touring matches and just show up at a different town and do the same match. It's like now you get punished for it because pe- the same people see the same match over and over again. That's not really their fault. That's kind of your fault because you're not supposed to be paying so much attention to wrestling, whatever. So I'm just I'm just bullying the nerds. They shouldn't pay attention. Zach has a ton of like does have better singles matches, but Taichi does have the Ibushi match and and uh, the G1 Ibushi I'll, match. I'll give I'll give like Taichi I'll give Taichi this. Between them, he has the best singles match between the two over the pandemic. I think. Right. If you wanted to say that one of Zach's Osprey matches was better, I would hear that. I would be fine. I'd be fine with that. But I think I would take Tai Chi versus Abushi, Abushi over yeah. both of those over both of the Zach Will matches. Yeah. So to me, that match standing out for Tai Chi as his biggest kind of singles thing, um, and it being a match that that over the entire pandemic is something that sticks in your head and pops out as like a big deal. Plus again, most of either guy's case is the tag team. I think fuck it, throw them together. This spot seems fair for them. Again, like I said, because solid, you said it like Aussie open is probably the best tag team in the world. Uh, ring sad conf (laughs) violence is forever is actually the guys who get to show off being the best tag team in the world. Fair enough. 
I think Dangerous Techers is probably number two best tag team in the world. If you look at both things, quality plus getting to actually wrestle. I don't know. I think that they're in the conversation. They're like in the top three, top four best tag teams of the year. So to me, it's just like, okay, you got that. You got the single stuff. I mean, Tai Chi had some other solid singles matches. It's not, it wasn't just that. I know that Zach had better matches overall. Sure. But Tai Chi had a couple good matches with Suzuki, uh, match with Jeff Cobb. You know what I mean? Like there, there is some stuff there for Tai Chi as well. So the Ibushi match stands out. One of the best matches to me over the pandemic era, the Ibushi Tai Chi match is one of the most memorable best matches of the pandemic era in general. So there you go. That's why dangerous techers get this spot here for me. You made a compelling argument. I can't really argue against it. And some people, like, you know, they could argue that Tai Chi's had really good G1s the last couple of years. So. Some people think that Tai Chi is the best wrestler in the world. So, we, you know, we don't need to get into that. You know? <laughs> that is true. Tai Chi's actually always been good. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's, a, it's, a fair, it's a fair case. I think you're making a very fair case uh, for Techers as a group being on the list and not just Zach. Uh, my number 31 is uh, someone that it will disappoint me to know that he's not on your list, but I know that he will not be. It is Casey. Yeah, I was I was tempted to put Casey on my list because I've seen it a, a few good matches from him. But like I said, when I when I you know how I do when I wash my hands of something, I feel it's only fair to completely wash my hands. Yeah, it's fair. Uh Casey, the shining light of Dragon Gate for the last however many years. Uh, you know, never wins the Dream Gate, but it always has one of always has maybe the best Dream Gate match of the year. Natural Vibes is so consistently good in the ring and fun and always just a joy to watch. And um again, Casey has just consistently been the best worker in Dream Gate. I mean in, in Dragon Gate for the last for the last few years now. I think in any situation you plug him into, whether you're plugging him into facing Asa or facing Doi, facing uh, facing Shun Skywalker in those Dreamgate matches, and yeah, he might not ever win those, which is a conversation in itself, but they're always the best match in that person's reign. That's that's the kind of level that the KZ operates. He's just a guaranteed banger, guaranteed great match, a title match every single time, and that goes into the multi-man tags and into him in, in, in the, in the six-man tags, the straight-up tags, or random stuff that you, that we may see KZ do. But, you know, I think that KZ is, the be- is consistently the best title match worker in Dragon Gate. I think that he's been that for the last few years. I think the, pand- I think the pandemic made that, I mean, uh, even, even more clear with uh, some of the stuff that he was doing and some of those highlights, some of those highlighted matches that I gave and he just continues to do it. And you can say that natural vibes are getting a little stale and might need a shake up or whatever else. But I feel like natural vibes is, is nice for Casey to have his own unit, like a Casey unit. And I don't think Casey should ever turn heel. I think that Casey should just be a baby face for the rest of the, for the rest of his time until he retires. Casey is that good. Casey is that remarkable as a baby face, that likable, that lovable, that he should never turn heel. And I think that obviously people want to see him win that dream gate and they're doing different things at, at this point in time and 
trying different stuff and also recycling the same shit like Doi and Yamada winning the Dream Gate. So it sucks to see them go going back to the same old guys and not give someone like KZ a shot. But, you know, that's not really reflective of how quality his in-ring is. And in-ring, KZ is just as good as anyone in the world. It's just like you want to see him be able to showcase that on like the highest platform possible consistently. And I just imagine what, what how good it would be to be to have KZ be able to go out there and every two months have a Dreamgate defense. You know KZ would kill it. You know KZ would have an incredible reign, have an incredible run. We just haven't gotten it. But what we do get from KZ is always among the best stuff of Dragon Gate's year. Yeah, that's uh yeah, KZ rules. I uh like I said, I would have had him on my list, but I wrote off Dragon Gate and I was like, it's not fair to have anybody from Dragon Gate on the list. So again, I would be imprisoned and sent directly to jail if I praised Dragon Gate at all. So we'll move on. Uh, my thirty, I don't think you'll have JD Drake. I don't have JD Drake. I can't blame you. Again, another guy who it's like, you know, when you're getting the US indie guys on here for me, it's 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 a push, but it's definitely vibe vibe check kind of guys. But JD Drake, I mean, this guy fucking rules. Like he's so goddamn good. Like no matter what he's doing, spot fest, brawling, psychology kind of matches, telling stories, tag teams. He could do tag team as a spot fest guy, he can do tag team as a story guy, both, you know, whatever southern tags everything phenomenal uh i would say a guy who a lot of people have on their you know number one i th- I, I see people having him in their top five top two uh see you know shout out to joseph uh monticilio out there with his video but daniel garcia i say daniel garcia's best match of the uh pandemic is against jd drake uh jd drake was like fucking killing it and limitless repeatedly um killing it you know in AEW showing up for random spots and having great matches over and over again throughout the pandemic. Uh, yeah, but this guy just amazing. Every time he goes out there, one of the best workers when it comes to storytelling spots going off, you know, maybe he's a bit of a dork and a mark and should stay off Twitter, but you know, who, who, whom amongst us, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably need to stay the fuck off Twitter. Um, you know, so, you know, we all need to stay off Twitter a little bit more and more. One thing I heard, I heard this, and this is just like a point I want to throw out there. This is topical, you know, even though we do these podcasts and and it's trying to be, uh, you know, like you said, time capsules, everyone can listen to. I heard someone talking about like politics stuff and they were saying like, oh, you know, normies, even normies are making these jokes. If you see it on Twitter, if you see whatever people are saying on Twitter, just keep in mind that that's not normies. Normies are not on Twitter. So, J.D. Drake, stay off Twitter, because Twitter is not where normal people are. Most of your fans are not on Twitter, man. Um, But, yeah, J.D. Drake rules. One of the best wrestlers on the planet. Um, And just, yeah, when it comes to the U.S. Indies, I mean, God, this guy is probably probably in the top two or three best wrestlers who just makes their case on the U.S. Indies. This guy fucking rules. No, J.D. is great. I'm like, pure talent. Like, I think he's like... I have no problem saying that I think that JD's better than like AJ Gray or whatever, just in terms of pure talent, but just didn't see enough of him to feel compelled to make a case for him. I would say, um, and I really, I really like, I really like him. I've always really liked JD Drake. I think that especially the last uh, couple of years, I think he's 
refined what he wants to do in the ring. And a lot like Jeff Cobb has taken out some of the stuff that was maybe too cutesy and wasn't get it and wasn't was taken away from the effectiveness of what his job in the ring is. So nothing nothing but respect and uh, admiration for 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 JD Drake in the ring. But um yeah, uh, huge nerds. Uh can't make my list, sorry. <laughs> fair, fair. All right, my number uh twenty nine is Takumi Aroha. Wait, I think this should be your thirty. Oh, it is my 30. <laughs> well, that spoiled yeah. it. My number 29 is Takumi Aroha, obviously. Uh, okay. My number 30 is Mio Momono. Okay. Uh, I had Mio Momono all the way back at 33. Uh, Quentin, feel free to 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 do the talking here. All right. Um, I'll be honest. I wasn't aware of Mio Momono until our friend, the robot, uh, Corwo, uh, was really highlighting this... Uh, this Marvelous versus Sendai Girls feud. And eventually he got all of us in the Slack to watch it. And everyone was equally blown away and amazed by it and talked about how great it was. And to me, I thought the star of it was was Mio Momono. This short, little feisty spark plug of a wrestler just, see, just steals the show every time. Whether it's a whether it's a six man or a straight up tag or a singles or whatever, straight every time Mio Momono was just a highlight of a show, a match, whatever in which there were Marvelous versus Sendai interactions, and her energy is contagious, it's infectious. You want to see her win. She's a little shithead, but at the same time, she's like super likable and charismatic. She's really great in these multi-man spots, but I thought that she was also individually really great in her, in her, in her major singles matches versus Des Chisako and Shihiro Hashimoto. So I think that she, I think that she was great in those, in, uh, in that regard. And that's like the big bulk of her case, really being the best person and being the best worker and the best feud of 2021. But going back and seeing some of the, seeing, seeing some of her 2020 stuff, see that she was always good. And some of it is, harder to find and stuff like that. And you got to do some digging to get around and find this stuff. But the Mio Momono that I see in 2020 is also, is also very good. But again, the bulk of it is being the highlight of the best few of 2021. And from not knowing who she was to falling in love with her as a worker, Mio Momono for someone that I got introduced to during the pandemic probably left the biggest impression on me. Uh, for someone that I wasn't familiar with going into it. Yeah, same. Definitely big same in a lot of that. Um, Mio's fucking phenomenal in that feud specifically. And then the stuff that I dug up outside of the Marvelous versus Sendai feud stuff that I was just like super digging. Um, I wanted to shout this one out there again. I think we, I think we said it, but maybe we didn't put it on the podcast. But I remember, I think I even asked... JML on the podcast and if he doesn't remember maybe no one does but the fucking um the Facebook group with the for all the Joshi wrestling from like the early 2000s and 2010s uh that you had to like deal with the person who ran the group who was a fucking weirdo I want to remember the name of the group and the name of the guy who was a weirdo people talk shit about him all the time um if anyone remembers what I'm talking about please uh please send that over here 
Um, cause yeah, that was where we used to get all this stuff. And I just was thinking about that because of you know, digging up all of this fucking shit. I, I, I miss that. The Facebook groups were annoying in a lot of ways, but it was always so much easier to dig up the fucking, the dirty, scuzzy Japanese stuff on those Facebook groups. Um, but Mio Momono, uh, yeah, she was the hire for me of the, of everyone from the, from the, the Marvelous versus Sendai Girls feud as well. I thought she kicked ass. Did you think about putting Dash on your list? Because I did. I was like debating if, if Dash uh, deserved a spot on the list. I guess it I guess well. I guess it Dash. She is perennially one of my favorite Joshi workers. But uh Yeah. Yeah. Um I would like you know, like I'm not gonna say to say that she was like a super close, but she was someone that like in my rough like hundred of people that I was at least considering, she was he was she was on it. Yeah, I was thinking about it. Um, all right, so so Quentin, that's thirty. That's thirty for thirty. Uh, do you want to? We want to push this uh, and continue continue on for a bit here. What do you think? Uh, I think that we can get to. We can get to twenty six. I think we can do it. I think we can do it. All right. So my twenty nine. You're not gonna have uh, Tom Lawler. Yeah, no Tom Lawler, but you. I I did consider him. I think I did consider him. Uh. I probably should let you talk about him first, but, like, I think that... No, go ahead. Go. Talk, talk, talk. Like, I considered him, but despite the volume of him, like, the volume of his work, he's someone that was working consistently. When I watched the work, it just didn't, like, reel me in enough to, like, be able to, like, even pretend, like, pretend that I think that he should be on the top 50, personally. It's like, the, like, the volume is there. Like, the the stage is there. The footage is there. But I just didn't, like, get sucked into his work enough in order to really feel comfortable making a case for him. That's fair. That's fair. Um, Because Tom Lawler is, as I've talked about before, he is the hot couch John Cena. And in some ways, I understand why you don't relate to that. Jo- Tom Lawler is the perennial baby face for the crazy ass online white boy um there's just something about tom lawler that speaks to if you got on the internet when you were like 12 or 13 years old and you're just like a dumbass white dude who's like in your mid-30s now he is your he is your guy he's like nine gag he's fucking a albino black sheep you know what i mean he's 4chan he is the 4chan wrestler and I just, I can understand why Quentin, not only are you much too young, you know, but you're also not like just a dumbass white guy who's like into jackass and all that stuff that like you don't relate to him in the same way. But Tom Lawler speaks to me at my core as a wrestler, as a personality at his entire vibe. Again, vibe. It's a big part of this fucking list. Uh, Tom Lawler is the guy when it comes to that. Um, I think that Tom Lawler basically knocks it out of the park every time he's in the ring for what he delivers as he becomes the the you know the 2020s version of fucking um uh oh my god how did i just how did my brain just do this to me how can you do this uh don fry he is the 2020s don fry as his body is breaking down and he's just turning into like this weird like machismo fused together like He's like, you can see all of his muscles. He's ripped, but you, he also can't move his neck kind of vibe. Like as he's getting stiffer and stiffer and he's like looking older and older. Uh, but he still goes out there and he fucking rocks this guy. Like 
I love I love Tom Lawler. The shoot, obviously, the shoot wrestling background thing. I love the way that he gets in there and he can grapple with anyone. Yeah, again, he's like he's Tom Fry and fucking um, uh, uh, oh my god, why am I doing this to myself? I need to stop trying to pull names out of a hat like I like I have anything left in my brain at this point. Um, uh, not Sakaguchi. Uh, either way, it doesn't matter. Um, like he just i i i'm enjoying watching him become like fujiwara basically like he's just turning into the old man uh but he can still kick it he can still get in there and kick shit uh bastard cassidy match is one that i remember and stands out very strongly to me uh because he's fighting this big giant overpowered baby huey kind of guy i wish bastard cassidy was showing up a bit more because he's a guy that could have made it at least on the honorable mentions, bottom of the list, based on how he was looking in early 2020s, but unfortunately, he disappears. This is crazy. I don't remember that this happened this year or within the pandemic, but but the the, the match with the Karate Man, the Ethan Page feud, that was in the pandemic, which is weird to think about. Um, yeah, like, tons of phenomenal stuff from, from Tom Lawler. Again, mixing everything from goofy wrestling bullshit to pure mma backed fighting um holy shit do you remember tom lawler and homicide having a blood sport match because i remember that and that was fucking yeah i do stupid yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was so stupid but it was so much fun the other thing, like, if you go through tom lawler's cage match you look at the volume here the dude never stopped wrestling whether it was mlw or popping up on gcw doing new japan strong whatever the dude wrestled the whole time it just just didn't do anything for me fair i guess it's fair if, if like again like i said it doesn't speak to you it doesn't speak to you but the shit a, a lot of it spoke to me the repeated like the fred rosser feud in new japan strong i think was like the background hum of his entire pandemic and i think that it always was super solid fred rosser um darren oh god darren young right darren, yeah. yeah darren young um uh, mr no days off uh the black john cena as they called him in the in the past uh yeah he like their feud in new japan was always super solid and always like allowed for really good really good back and forth between the two perfect like heel baby face dynamic that they have there but then also throughout new japan strong you just throw team filthy against anything and team filthy like has this storyline and delivers in just whatever random multi-man tag team matches so yeah like tom tom you know to me phenomenal guy and matches that like end up in my conversation for like match of the pandemic stuff is like the alex kane match and ppw which i thought was phenomenal um and and the the dickinson man match in new japan strong i thought was really fucking good like there's a ton of to me there's a lot of really good stuff in there as well he's got a great match with uh daniel garcia in black label pro good match with uh alex shelley a couple actually i think multiple matches with alex shelley throughout the the pandemic that i think are very good um so yeah the the the, the low-key match is actually one of the better low-key matches i mean i'm not a fan of low-key so whatever um so yeah i just think to me there's a bunch of stuff in there that 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 i remember and stands out plus the just like you said consistency a guy who actually wrestled a ton throughout the pandemic and uh and just being the basically being the baby face for my for me and my generation and, and and people who are just exactly me internet dudes in their 30s who just grew up on like the the dumbest stupidest online shit this guy is the guy and then every week i listen to him on fucking f4w radio you know what i mean like there's nothing more like my generation than tom lawler that's fair. I can't argue. I can't argue against it. Like I said, it's like if I didn't like the wrestling, then I just didn't like the wrestling, and I can't force it. But I understand 
just like the overall connection and being in the Tom Lawler beyond just like the ring and like what he brings there, but just in terms of personality for sure. Uh, as I blurted out a little bit ago, uh, my number 29 is Takumi Aroha because I cannot count. Uh, yeah, not on my list. Yeah, not surprising that she's not on your list. And for some people, this might this feel like it might be a little bit high to have her, which I can understand. Uh, her volume isn't super great. Uh, some of her stuff didn't even make tape, really. So, like, I can see not having her. But the stuff that we have of her is really strong. The stuff that we have from Takumi Aroha, I feel like, is really strong. Um, a lot of it... Uh, being these big title matches as he was, she was able to freelance and go around and uh, experience this kind of resurgence and be a big and be a big uh, name in these promotions, kind of feeling like Maiko Satomura esque in in, in, so, in some ways. Uh, to see her go from facing Mayu Iwatani uh, twice in twenty in twenty twenty to her run in the uh, Tokyo in the in the, in the uh, Stardom Grand Prix. And the draw with Yuri, which, again, I didn't love, but I liked Takumi Aroha's performance in it. And then the Chihiro Hashimoto match from uh, from from Sendai Girls that also went to a draw. So she has, like, these big epics, these big title matches that I think are among the best in Japan over the pandemic. And I really, I really, I really enjoy those. And then there's good in between bits. There's other fun stuff in the, start, in the Stardom Grand Prix that I thought was good. There's tag matches and stuff like that. But... Again, I'll be honest to say that it really does kind of come down to these big matches, these big spots facing the best of the best, the highest pushed people in Japanese women's wrestling. And Takumi Aroha went out there and she felt like a force of nature. And some of these, her individual performances being like so fucking outstanding, uh, particularly in the moment, particularly in the, in the Mayu in the Mayu Iwatani stuff, and she she delivered at the highest level. Uh, a, a few different times, and I felt like rewarding that here. So the volume might not be super high. Um, this little cluster of people will be people who don't have super high volume, but like the stuff that we got from them was among the best of the year, and it would have felt weird to not have them to have them below certain people. So this is how Takumi Aroha winds up where she is, and I'm fi- I'm fine with I'm fine with having her here. Yeah, that's a. Uh... You know, it's an it's an interesting case. I've I've seen only a few matches from uh, Takumi Aroha over the course of the uh, pandemic in general. Um, of what I've seen, I was absolutely adored. So it's just kind of like, yeah, I I'm with you. And if I wanted to, and I wanted to like make a case, I could definitely see it. So I agree with everything you said there. Um, my twenty eight. I don't know if you'll have uh maybe Starlight Kid. No Starlight Kid. I did consider her, though. Yeah. Uh, I fucking loved Starlight Kid throughout the pandemic, especially the heel turn. Uh, I thought really added, like, an insane dimension um, to Starlight Kid that has just been, like, eye-opening and, and, and... Not one of these people who thought, like, it was, like, impossible that Starlight Kid could ever be a heel, but the how good she is at it has been super impressive. Uh, but even beyond that, the high-speed... Uh, title run that she had I thought was great and uh, just phenomenal all the way through but the character work just really put it over the top um, into becoming like yeah like in this conversation just phenomenal amazing wrestler um, but you know 
I think it's weird because Starlight Kid is one of these people that people have talked about for it feels like forever at this point as being like this insane rookie, but it is still crazy to think about how young she is and how good she has been since the moment she started wrestling. Um and continue to think that like she could have who knows how fucking long moving forward, especially when she continues to to mix it up and spice it up by showing a totally new side of what she can do with this heel character. Um and just being so fucking good at it. So yeah, Starlight Kid, phenomenal. Um That's it. Quentin, move for moving on. Oh no, I love I love Starlight Kid, so like I don't really have uh any issue with you having her where you have her. I think that Starlight Kid was Starlight Kid, I think people have to keep in mind, Starlight Kid was super fucking young. Uh when people were first seeing her. She was like, again, you know, like literally a child, which happens a lot in Joshi. Uh you know, uh, be that be that as it may, and she wasn't able to focus on wrestling full time. But I think that now she's able to focus on wrestling full time, and that's what we're starting to see that renewed push and renewed uh, motivation behind her. And just like we mentioned with some other people, like say like a Hoodfoot or or others, I think that 2022 could be a really big year for Starlight Kid. Um, I guess I can see her being. She's always been in the high speed title contention. That's kind of the range in which she floated around, but I would love to see Starlight Kid getting in the mix for the white belt in 2022. Yeah, I think she's ready to to move to a, a higher level. But Quentin, what's your 28? All right, my number 28 is Walter. Gunther, I do not have. Yeah, uh, Gunther, Gunther. Nazi I, Nazi man, I, whatever he is. I don't want to be an asshole here, but I don't I don't see it. You got to talk me into this cuz I think the guy's got like maybe four matches. Like what? What? What's the case here? Yeah, he does have four matches, and straight up, two of them are top thirty to fifty matches of the pandemic. <laughs> like, like of the last two years, the like the two matches that he had, both of them being with Ilya Dragunov, which is why Ilya is also going to be in the same cluster here. Like they're two of the best matches of the pandemic, and like. For me, it's hard to overlook that. And there's other stuff. There's stuff like the A-Kid match, which is good. The Walter versus Champa match, which is good. And other, like, uh, like other, like, little stuff like that. But the bulk of it is Walter versus Ilya from 2020 in the empty room is fucking incredible. And then the other one from 2021 is just as good. And they're both top 10 matches. And they're both top 10 matches of their respective years. And, again, with how weird the pandemic has made wrestling... I look at that and I know that the sample size is small and I know that for me and based off my track record, my track record on this podcast, doing these year end things that is completely antithetical from how I usually go about things. But for how fucked up stuff has been, I think it's just hard to look at a guy that has two of the top 30 to 40 matches of the pandemic and just not have them on my list. So that's why I feel fine having him like smack in the middle you know, and, you know, you know, get it, getting, getting closer to that 25 spot, because if you have two of the best matches of the pandemic, then I feel like you should have a spot on this list. And like, I just didn't feel like there's other people. I just didn't feel the way about. I didn't feel the way about Okada. I didn't feel the way about Tanahashi, like, and those guys that you can make those cases about, but like, I think that Walter and Ilya, when I get to him in a second, those matches are so good and hold up so well for me that I just couldn't not have them. And then the other stuff that they do have, like Walter's Champa match is really good. The Aiken match is good. 
the Rampage Brown match is good. There's like there's other good stuff that I enjoy, and yeah, I just couldn't imagine not having him. Be like, this some of the best shit of the uh, some of the best shit of this whole run. It feels like you did the same thing as me, where you have a spot for a feud. You have like two two people close together who their spots are based on their feud with each other. I guess you could say that. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's fair. Like I said, it's the same thing I was feeling, and it's it's a similar thing that I I had. Um, oh God, I'm trying to think. Like like Darius Lockhart, right? The, where I had him on the list was kind of based on the fact that he had my match of the year. I had that feeling where I'm like, I can't. I feel like I can't not have a guy who I think is fucking amazing and had my match of the year on my list. Like if it, you know, like if this was a one year list, it'd be so much easier to make that case. But because it's like the pandemic and you're doing two years, it does feel a little bit to me, at least it feels a little weird to be like, Oh, this guy had like my match of the year. So he has to make my list. That was like kind of the same feeling. So I can get it, especially because these guys both had, two match of the year contenders top level match of the year like in, within the course of the two years so it's like okay yeah uh 27 for me you already had him earlier at uh 35 tomohiro ishii the stone pitbull um i just consistency you talked about it you you i think when you said it you were like i don't think you're gonna have him on your list or whatever um but during the pandemic this is one of these guys who's like a fucking machine out there constantly having great matches even when new japan isn't running uh when he comes back he's one of the best workers on the planet the guy who gets saddled repeatedly with the fucking shittiest bullshit wrestling evil and i'm sorry but the poor guy just has to deal with it but still gets to do stuff the new japan cup match with el desperado holy shit el, two of the my favorite wrestlers in new japan right now despy just barely missed my list like tomohiro ishii's probably probably my second highest new japan wrestler honestly like which is sounds crazy you know at this point he's at 27 but like comparatively maybe him there's like a conversation i have another wrestler who makes part of his case outside of new japan but makes most of his case in new japan and then i have another purely new japan wrestler so like you could say third second or third new japan only wrestler ishii fucking rocks um but yeah, like, again, I've only recently started to appreciate him more. I used to be kind of anti-Ishii, but now I'm really getting it. Um, and I just, I, I'm super enjoying him. Not as high as, not as high as his highs in the past, I understand. I used to like his his matches better in the past, as well as single stuff. They used to give him more things. But the tag team and the multi-man stuff that he's doing now, even with Chaos, um, I think is, is enjoyable. And then when he gets in there in the G1 and he's just banger, 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 banger with everyone, constantly having great matches uh, throughout the pandemic repeatedly, doesn't matter. Like, Ishii is a, doesn't matter, crowd, no crowd, fans, no fans, doesn't matter. This guy's going to fucking kill it every night. He gives maximum effort all the time. We've talked about it in the past, but he's a guy who people think that what makes him great is the hard-hitting bullshit and the head-clanging. It's like, no. What makes him great is the selling. What makes him great is the, the, the psychology. What makes Ishii great is the is the deeper stuff. It's not just the, the fucking, you know, pissing contest, shoot headbutts, unprotected headbutts. That's why it makes you so mad when you see him kind of do that stuff because you're like, dude, you don't need to do it. You could just not... You could just not do that stuff. No one would care. Like, you're over without doing the fucking ridiculous, like, dangerous stuff. So, yeah. Ishii, 
he's great. The guy is phenomenal. Um, yeah, just one of the best workers, I think, in the world, obviously. That's why he makes my top 50. So, yeah, Quentin, give your thoughts on Tomohiro Ishii. Yeah, I mean, Tomohiro Ishii is, a again, like the one of the workhorses of New Japan. And, again, whether that's New Japan Cup, whether that's the G1, whether that's working the Tag League Tour, whether that's going out there and, work, and working abroad and doing whatever, he's a model of consistency and has and perennially has matches that that do that do stand out and are near the top of the list for people's best new japan matches uh you know like the, the shingo stuff i think wasn't as good i think having diminishing returns really uh but i still but i, but I still but i still really liked it there's some there's still some really strong G, g1 stuff like the okada match that that's that's uh that's good so yeah, there's not there's not much of an argument for Ishii. I can see uh, you having him as high as you do here. Um, again, like we, it's uh, it's funny to, that you have him higher than me, but um, I'm not surprised. I'm not like totally surprised that it flipped. My yeah, number. Th- it's it's Go ahead. it is interesting to think how it's going, but yeah. What's your uh, twenty-seven? My number twenty-seven is Ilya Dragunov. He's not on my list. He is not on my list, just like Walter. Okay, so. I'll give you this. I'll tell you why Ilya is higher than Walter. And I think that people forget some of the stuff that Ilya did. So these matches happened like the, 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 the there's the two Alexander Wolf matches that aired in 2020, early 2020, um, that are both that are both really good. At least not one of, I think one of them aired in 2020. But there's the one no DQ Alexander Wolf match between without with Ilya Dragunov that aired in 2020 that yeah, fucking rocks. I remember that match. There's yeah. the there's the Imperium Walter Walter and uh and Wolf versus uh Ilya Dragunov and Dunn. There's Ilya Dragunov versus versus Finn Balor, and then we then we get some then we get some of the other stuff like you know Ilya versus Walter obviously and uh you know that being that being a crown jewel that being the stuff that really makes the bulk of the case. But you get something like Pete Dunn versus Ilya Dragunov on NXT. You get Ilya versus Roderick Strong. You get Ilya versus Walter versus Walter again at Takeover, and then even like the A, and then even like the A Kid title match uh, on on NXT UK, like it's it's still really it's still really good. So for me, Ilya has a stronger case, and I can honestly Ilya a little tiny bit higher if I really wanted to stretch it, because all of Ilya's matches are great, all of them are great, and he does have a little bit more volume than Walter there, and. I think that he, I think that he was really good in all of, in all of those matches, and uh, again, like I said, with the Walter case, he has two of the, he has two of the best matches of the of this whole two year run that we're covering, and again, it'd be weird to not have a guy who uh, who had some of who had a couple of the best matches of the pandemic, but I feel like Ilya had that other stuff that kind of took him over the top, and stuff that I feel like people uh, might forget when talking about his. Uh, his run during the last couple of years. He's a, he's a, he's been solid he's been solid as NXT UK as NXT UK champ so far. Yeah, I uh, a lot of the stuff that you mentioned there that I remember I really enjoyed. Like I was talking about the Alexander Wolf stuff um, and uh, and the world title stuff that he's been doing lately is all very good. So I I get it, um, but just not for me. Uh, Number 26, I know you had earlier, I think at number 40, um, Alex Shelley. Yeah, um, I have I have Shelley at 40. 
All right. Do you want to talk about Shelly first? Feel free. Uh, you can go ahead. Okay. Um, so Shelly starts out 2020 with matches uh, as the time splitters in NXT, which I don't even remember. I don't know if you remember those, but yeah, it, it, I sure. did the the Grizzly the Grizzly Young Veterans match. People were mad that they lost, and it was it was a really good oh, match. Yeah, it was a really good match. Yeah, that match rules. And then um, yeah. I actually got to saw Alex Shelly live. I got to see him face Mark oh. Haskins. Oh shit! Oh yeah, yeah, because you went to that ROH Free Enterprise show. Yeah. Which uh, there was some there was something someone else on my list that was on that show, and I can't remember who. Um, either way, we'll we'll get there later. Um, I think it was Session Month Martina. She's on my list. Um, either way, uh, so Alex Shelley starts out the pandemic kind of starts out twenty twenty, doing NXT. And I think that there was a vibe like this guy is going to just sign with a major company, right? Like that that's I think what was going on. People were thinking that. The pandemic hits and Alex Shelley locks the fuck down after having like the beginning of twenty twenty, having some some solid stuff. ROH, NXT, AIW. It's like, okay, you know, he he made Lee Moriarty. A lot of people remember, you know, that, but like that was part of the early 2020 stuff was Alex Shelley making Lee Moriarty a star, making him a household name with the, the shit that he was doing. That Mark Haskins match, like you mentioned, phenomenal. I mean, this guy's so good. Ren Narita match in Warrior Wrestling. You know, Trey Lamar match, right? Like, as 2020 is starting, it's like, okay, what the fuck is this guy doing? He's been, he's been kind of gone, and now it seems like he's ready to pop off. Um... Then the pandemic hits and he's like, nope, I work with fucking sick old people. I'm not going to risk it for this shit. I'm going to, you know, lock myself completely down. And then eventually he comes back with a vengeance, having some of the best matches in the world. Isaiah's Velasquez match. Do you remember that BLP? Uh, yeah. The, the Eric Stevens show. Like that fucking ruled. Uh, he's doing some impact. They were doing Motor City Machine Guns Reunion, which I remember like being fucking hyped for it didn't quite deliver at the level that i would hope but still it was great um yeah so he was back and and we expected more but eventually like it seemed like the impact relationship kind of soured and disappeared faster than it should have he wins the uh the the BLP midwest title um and i was thinking like okay this is gonna be something and he had a couple of really good matches including the kylie ray match which was great so it's like okay this guy's fucking killing it Anthony Henry, again, talked about him earlier, but doing great stuff with him, showing up with GCW, showing up in PWG, and wins the IWTV championship and, like, feels like he's going to try to put the title on the map and do something with it. The promo that he cut, I thought, was great. The match that he had the night before he won the title with Daniel Garcia, I thought, was better, but, you know, that's another whole other story. We've already talked about it before, but it felt like he was, like, trying to make a point of making something out of this title. I thought there was like a nice mix where he's talking about being a, a fucking a worker, being a working man person, an underground kind of, you know, uh, uh, that kind of vibe. And then unfortunately we didn't get it to completely deliver at the level that it should, that we hoped it would. Um, still waiting for the, uh, the match with, uh, Daniel Garcia to make, to make tape at some point, hopefully. Um, or not Daniel Garcia, Daniel Makabe match. I feel like that never showed up online anywhere. We've all been waiting for it. It feels like it would be good. The match with Nick Wayne. So hopefully Alex Shelley can show like what a good Nick Wayne match looks like because I haven't seen one yet. 
Um, but otherwise, I mean, the Jimmy Jacobs reunion match and GCW, like, we're just... Just such a phenomenal wrestler. And, uh, and unfortunately... WrestleVania, WrestleFest, whatever that that kind of dropped out and kind of ruined his uh his title run. But that's not really part of what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is what he did during the pandemic, I guess, 2020-2021. Just trying to re-spark and reunite the indie wrestling kind of scene uh, felt like what he was doing and unfortunately didn't quite get a chance to complete that but the guy is just so fucking good uh had a a big part of what makes alex shelley a a, a, a just under the top 25 wrestler of the pandemic is the fact that he's one of the only wrestlers who uh didn't really wrestle when the pandemic was super bad right he kept taking time off so gotta give him uh gotta give him his props for not uh not risking and and uh, you know showing uh or not showing uh not uh, risking a bunch of people's health by constantly being out there and spreading the virus around all right that was your 26 right yes that was my 26 and he's he was your number 40 okay so uh, i'm making sure so uh, we, we agreed on the 26 ending off point for the for this for this installment we're at a little over two and a half hours so i feel like uh, ending it off on my 26 will be a good ending point here because you probably have this person higher. My number 26 is Fuminor Yabe. Yes, I have him slightly higher. Um, so, yeah. All right. Okay, we got through the first half of our list, Timothy. It felt like it flew by, but at the same time, I'm not really, I'm not really sure how quickly this next 25 is going to go. Maybe we could do it in one, maybe we could do it in one sitting, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It might be difficult to get to the next 25. You know what? I put my 25 and I was hoping that we'd cap off on my 25 and I forgot. That's not how it works. Either way, I'm excited to move on and move forward with you here. Um, because yeah, I think that the next twenty five is not going to go as quickly as we hoped. Uh, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be here for seven hours, but at the same time, we have a content we have a content quota to hit. Uh, Sam has us on the hamster wheel here. Uh, the hamster wheel here. So uh, we gotta keep making the boss man money. So uh, thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll be here next time. And uh, you can start tuning in to the next installment. Fortune off the top of a tall building. I'd rather done it with you. Your voice smile five in the morning. Looked into your eyes, and I was really in love. In Chinatown, hungover, you showed me. Whoa.